Hi folks and welcome back to another exciting episode of Loss of Lieutenant. I'm your host Kevin and on tonight's show I'm joined by fellow hosts Nick and Rob. Yeah, so we've got a, um, a special guest on tonight uh, who we've invited along to uh, to have a chat with us considering the, the topic we've chosen to talk about and his experience in the field. We thought we'd, uh, we'd bring him on and, um, and have a bit of a chat. So how you doing Rob? Uh, it's been an extremely long weekend and week but I'm feeling great about sitting down and, and having a chat with you lads and thinking about anything that is not the housing market in Australia. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we're, no, not, yeah, nobody wants us to think about that. So we can talk about uh, about a different money sink, which will be miniature wargaming. So, uh. Yeah. So with that, Rob, um, yeah, th- yeah, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, have you been getting any games in or uh, hobby in lately? Hobby, not a lot. Um, I've got a bunch of things sitting on the painting table that really deserve attention, but I go really big peaks and troughs in hobby, so it'll uptick at some point soon and I'll get the fever. Um, games, yeah, no, like we've had a bunch. Um, Canberra's got a really lovely infinity scene. We had an event that I will talk about probably in the context of the chess clock discussion just this last Saturday um, that I ran and organized. Uh, but I did get, I got two out of three games in at that one. I had to leave the third one to avoid a buy. Um, but I ran, I ran a hacking centric Toha list just to see if it was possible. And it was extremely stupid, but also <laughs> extremely fun. Um, don't, as a general rule, cut Jan Star from your lists in order to fit two Kamel hackers. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, I had, I had a couple of fantastic games, including one where I managed to possess an enemy tag as Toha using a Sukil Commando's deployable repeater, hack it, Take control of the tag, run it into close combat with enemy tro- an enemy trooper, fire into the subsequent melee with the Sukhoi Commando, crit the enemy target, miss three times, the crit kills the enemy target, and the three misses hit the tag and kill it. Wow. So that was a fun play. That's full on. That's impressive. And hacking Toha. So I didn't first, first of all know that you guys even had deployable repeaters. So that's good knowledge for everybody. Uh, what was in the what was in that list that could hack? I don't even know. So the only hacking devices that Toha have got are they have the killer hacker on ALS Keysight, which I didn't take because she was too expensive. The rest of the list, um, they just have line infantry Kamail hackers. Um, so the Kamail is the eleven point Toha line infantry. They used to have offensive or white hacking mm. devices. They were crap anyway. Yeah, pointless ones. Yep. Those those devices all disappeared in N four, and so they replaced them with hacking devices. So Toha have technically speaking, they have hacking. They're awful at it. They only have a small number of deployable repeaters. They have no native repeaters. Their guided missile isn't a guided missile. It's a rocket launcher and it's trash. Like, it's terrible. It was very funny. I mean, as someone who got um, laid up by that uh, heavy rocket launcher uh, in, a, in a recent game, I'd actually not say they're terribly trash because they still have a light shotgun and there's, you know, a still heavy and rocket launcher, which is all Fire a guided light shotgun if you want to. <laughs> That's a really good point. Although, can you do why, that? Although you wouldn't do that. You, you can, but you just use the rocket. It's a better weapon. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because it's all burst, all becomes burst one anyway, right? Right, right, right. <clears throat> oh, that's, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, we're looking forward to talking about that um, uh, that tournament on the weekend. Because I guess to, just to kind of go back a couple of steps and and talk about what we're going to be, or mention what we're going to be talking about tonight, is we're going to be going into how to improve an infinity. So uh, with a focus on time management and efficiency, and 
since we've just done this June challenge, we just announced the June challenge of chess clocks, and that we know chess clocks are a bit of a divisive topic in at least in the Australian community. And given Rob has just run a tournament with chess clocks, I thought it would be a great opportunity to bring him in, uh, get him to discuss, uh, get him to just talk about the, the the experience of chess clocks, and then the more broad um, topic of managing your time. Yeah, like I mean, when we posted up on our uh, Lost Lieutenant Facebook page as well that what the new challenge was, saying that we're going to be uh, getting people to play with chess clocks, we want you to write about your experience and and all that sort of thing for the uh, for the challenge for the month of June. I was blown away by how divisive that topic was, and the number of people on on both sides who were just really quite vocal about it. I, I actually think it was one of the most commented on posts that we've actually ever done on our on our page so yeah uh, and it was interesting how quickly when a divisive topic is like that it gets quite well i wouldn't say it gets personal but people can miss the point of the post they kind of read past it rather than say hey give this a try the responses that we got from several people were i would never play in a tournament that had chess clocks i'm like well cool story we're not asking you to do that we're asking you to try it and let us know what your thoughts are um so when we get to it i actually do want to talk about that a little bit because um i think it's going to be really important to acknowledge where some of those comments come from and they do have a basis in people's experiences and if we don't if we don't talk about what experiences people had that caused them to respond that way then they're just going to keep responding that way and reasonably because their concerns aren't addressed but um definitely not 100 percent uh true uh so that's why it's such a good Time to bring it up. Um, Nick, you and I don't think I've had any games since we went into lockdown. No, we've been locked down for the past two weeks or so now, maybe a week and a half, I guess. Week and a half, uh, yeah, two weeks on Thursday. Yeah, because uh, apparently the Victorian government can't handle half a dozen cases a day, but let's not go into that. Um, the uh, yeah, so I've, Speaking I've got, of controversy. <laughs> yeah. So reading, reading from the rest of Australia, I read the news on that every morning, and it's actually been really encouraging to see like you guys get a handle on it. And it's like a kind of externally, it's been like a demonstration of how snap lockdowns enforced well works. But anyway, I'm not in Victoria, so what the fuck do I know? Yeah, it's like the... I'm I'm really more personally concerned. I mean, I'm, I actually don't want to go into it. Um, yeah, no, sorry. We can no. we'll say I'll, I'll, we can talk about it after after the recording. Rob. We don't have, we don't have um, yeah, so one let's, of those let's, let's leave that. Um, let's leave but that. But yeah, so I've not um not had any games in uh, recently since your uh, tournament, since the Cerberus tournament you ran, Kev. That was mm-hmm. last time I had I had games. Um, but that was a super fun. A tournament. I know um, you, you, we had an episode last. Last episode was talking about all, all about that tournament. Obviously, I wasn't on that episode, um, so I didn't get a chance to talk about my my games there. But I had. I wasn't able to stay around for the third round. I did have to get home to take care of the girls. But um, two games were absolutely um, blast of a time uh, playing against Val in round one, and then Mark who'd come over from uh, from South Australia for round two as well. Um, yeah, I, forgot, who, I forgot to mention him actually on the last episode. I wanted to give him a shout out because um, so, coming across, yeah. I had I played him so round two, which was just after lunch, and he'd managed it somehow after being being out clubbing the night before, or sorry, the, the night before the night before, and then the catching the bus overnight, so not really sleeping up for two nights, mm-hmm. and then having four beers at lunch. Yeah, <laughs> um, he then rocks up with me across the table <clears throat> with his um, his vanilla uh, vanilla combined, and just like. I, I mean, I the, at the end of the game, I had um, 
268 points left on the table and he had maybe 12. Um, and that was like at the end of round two, perhaps, because the, he definitely went into retreat. <clears throat> but um, some some things that are like, I mean, I tried to give him like at the very start of the game, right? I tried to give him a take back and he's like, no, no, it's okay. Maybe that was the four beers talking, but he definitely <laughs> should have taken the take back where he he'd walked, he had the, um, the right show and walked it out as he'd done a move, move. And the second move walked it right in front of my um, – Shang-Gi with APHMG, who's in a five-man link team who was just standing up as an ARO piece, walked him as the second move straight into the open in front of this guy. And I was like, mate, you might not realize, but this guy's standing up and can just see him straight downtown there. Uh, you, you can change that move if you want. You can change mm. that that order. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I've done it now. I'll just leave it. I'm like, all right. So he didn't last too much longer after that, um, the right show. And then um, a few other things just managed to – die one after the other but it was a good fun game the first game that i had was against val um who was playing imperial service and it was really interesting to play against imperial service because i've played them a couple of times at the start of n4 but haven't played them um much since the very start and um that was, his, that was his main for all of it most of the n3 right that's right yeah so um Val and myself were like, and a couple of other Melbourne guys would 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 main Imperial Service and just try and make it work somehow. And I I I did pretty well in N three with Imperial Service, and then um, like would tell Val like maybe try this out, you know, eight prong <laughs> battery with it with the Sujans, not bad. And it's like, nah, man, I'm I'm, no, I'm no. Really leaning into Zan Ying right now. I'm, 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 <laughs> Zan really Ying tr- and bow troopers. I'm really trying to make these bow troopers work. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> all right man you do you no, i respect him um, and, um, <laughs> yeah he's a great he's a great guy but he so that was mind wipe and that was the first time i'd ever played mind wipe and what a fun mission that is um i had a really great time in the mission i, I didn't I, I ended up losing um but it came down right to the last orders as to who was which way it was going to go um like it could have been a draw if the dice had gone a different way on literally the last roll of the game so um it was good fun um but uh, yes, uh, since I've, I've been doing a little bit of hobby as well, I'm getting a bit of painting in. Um, I don't really have anything that I need to paint on the infinity side at the moment. Um, but I have been I can hear painting. Your jacket. <laughs> yeah, I just I, what like it's rustling. Yeah, it's rustling. The zipper, yeah, the zipper so, just undo. And then there's, and then the undo, undoing the, the zipper. As well. Yeah, because yeah. I'm actually getting a little warm. I might actually have to, have to take this off. Um, just to, to, to fill the listeners in, I'm, I'm recording as usual from my laundry, which is external from the house, and it is quite chilly in Melbourne at the moment. And so I've got a thermal shirt and then a jumper and then like like a goose down puffer jacket on as well and a scarf and beanie. Um, <laughs> then with the image, you're also wearing headphones that are a wonderful shade of pink, but they look exactly like earmuffs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's it, like, but I, I think I rugged up to a degree that I was expecting it to be a lot colder than it actually was, than it actually is. Um, the wind has died down quite a bit, so there's not the breeze coming through here, which I sometimes get. Um, so I think I might have to, to take a couple of these layers off in a moment, but, um, I also had a heater running before we started and I had to turn that off because I was actually getting real warm. So, um, but you can't be too prepared for these sorts of things, you know. No, you gotta be. You gotta be comfortable, Nick. And you were sorry. You were saying, sorry. 
the audience is just going to have to listen for Nick undressing slowly. Over <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's, this is my ASMR of me um, <laughs> slowly taking off the six layers of clothing that I'm wearing. Maybe by the <laughs> end, by, by the end, Nick will be uh, in, his, in his undies only. Oh, it's a bit too chilly for that. Maybe I'll turn the heater back on. I, I could probably turn this room into like a bit of a bit of a sauna we do have the we've got the dryer back here so i could crank that and and really hotbox myself that'd be great um <laughs> <Hot boxes. laughs> that word means something different right? yeah, I, know. Yeah. I know just after, after yeah after um uh sharing sharing a story about bliss and so on on uh on online today i was just Made me maybe think about that. Uh, um, yeah, so I've been doing a little bit of hobby stuff, um, and I'm trying to get um, a little bit more in uh, each week as well. I'm trying to set myself like a goal to do a little bit of painting and and, and hobbying. But it's it's each, not each week. It's not infinity, um, though, is it? No, I don't really have anything on the infinity table at the moment. All the stuff that I'm playing with, I've already got painted and and, and built. Um, so there's not really much else. The only thing that I would want to look. At potentially doing is the um, the blue wolf tag which I've got, but that's the only thing that I really play with at the moment that really needs needs painting that I'm not um, sort of happily proxying something else for for my, for for certain things and and doing pretty pretty alright. So um, not much on the infinity front at the moment, um, but like with with my two little girls, I'm in a position at the moment where they are both sort of starting to go to bed at the same time. So it means that I do get my evenings back a little bit, which is great. I even I came along, um, Kev, the other week to visit you uh, while you were at a gaming night, um, having a game out yeah. at, um, at, what's the name of that place? Uh, Portal. Portal in, uh, in Ringwood. I brought my youngest daughter, uh, who's five months old, along, and who slept the whole two hours I was there in the in the pram, which was which was perfect. And that was sort of an experiment to see if I can get away with potentially getting a game in if I bring one of the girls along while they're asleep, which could happen. Um, but we'll but we'll see. So. It would it would yeah. We just have to come with the usual disclaimer, being like, I have a small child with me. Um, you know, the game may have to may have to end early, but that's good. Like, if you can get games in, if you can come out and hang with us guys once we're you know once we're out of lockdown, then that's great. That's, that's it. Exciting. Ah, good. Um, well, I'm probably I'm the same boat as you, Nick. Obviously, I haven't had any games since the tournament. I haven't done much hobby, although I did in preparation for oh. We are having a hobby night on Thursday. Remember, that's, that's something to announce. Yeah, yeah, we got a hobby night coming up this Thursday, which yeah. was something that we did quite regularly uh, during the big lockdown. The big lockdown during during, lockdown. during last year. Um, so I, I made the event, and I actually couldn't remember what number we were up to. I think it is number six. I tried to look back through the previous events we had hosted, and I'm pretty yeah. sure we did stop numbering them. I'm really, I'm really loving and the, uh, the, the, the titles that we've been coming up with the last couple. Anyway, it's just like number, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> it is. The next one. It's good. Yeah. So jump on. We'll be doing on probably Google meets. I mean, we might think about trying hosting something like that on the discord potentially. Um, we could do, we could do discord. Um, actually this time we'll, we'll, we'll see. Cause it worked all right for the live stream and, and it, there's a bit more capability on Google meets as far as, um, you know, chucking up your, your painted minis. Uh, because I think on the, on Google Meets you can't really do it unless you 
save it and then add it to the chat whereas on discord oh, you, you can, you mean you there's, can more, there's more capability of doing that on discord you mean? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Cool. so it might be better 100 yeah because then we'd have like all the channels there you can even have another dedicated channel to people post what they've worked on during the um that's right yeah it could, session. it could go right. under the session or it can go under infinite whips so that'll be yeah, good. so maybe maybe well we've done the previous ones all on zoom or google meets now that we do have this is the first time that we've hosted one since we've had a dedicated discord server i think um yeah i think so so maybe we'll do it on Discord because yeah. that's that's where that's where our our elite community resides. And um, Rob, that's actually one of the reasons why we invited you on tonight because you did a massive write up on the Discord about this recent tournament that you had with the chess cocks there. So thanks for your contribution. You're always there. I see you're, you're quite active in the um, in the list. Uh, what is the list advice yep. channel? That one and shit posting are where I live. Polar opposites. And it's actually funny the amount of times I've seen them where someone's gone, here's a list. Not sure if it should, if it should be on the shit posting channel. <laughs> uh, so it's, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, I haven't done any hobby much myself, except I was preparing myself for Thursday. So I was doing some undercoating last night. And I noticed that the undercoat I've been using for my Starco. I don't have any more, so I was experimenting with some other colors and trying to, so that I could achieve the same base color, because I've got all the Mobile Brigada, and I really want to add Mobile Brigada to my Starco, so I, uh, but it's been ooh, over well over a year since last time I painted in my Starco, so it's going to be interesting getting the color the colors to match, so um, I might have a crack at that on Thursday. If not, I've got, well, two boxes of Defiance to paint, so I guess that's that's gonna be the never ending uh that's defiance is like one of the things that's like looming over my shoulder in terms <laughs> of it hasn't arrived yet because i did single shipping so oh, yeah. I'm, on, I'm in all in wave two um but there is quite a lot of miniatures in there that's just like creeping up behind me slowly as that as that slow boat from china slowly slowly gets here yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty overwhelming i've got the scenery pack that i really want to put together and paint because that's actually quite useful um, but I just haven't had the time. Um, but yeah, that's that's otherwise otherwise that's that's it. So um, we'll jump. We've got some up, we've got some upcoming events that we want to shout out as well. Yes, um, which we could probably have a quick talk about. We've got the Winter Wipeout happening in Geelong on the twenty eighth and 29th of August, which is a two day event. Um, which uh, yeah, I think there is a there is a player cap on that one. I don't have all the details in front of me. Have you got that one up there, Kev? I don't have the details in front of me, but there are plenty of spaces that people want to um, join that event. Uh, let's say Val is helping organize the Infinity side of it. It's like a kind of con, so very much um, excited and interested to you know to get you know to have people down there and support the Geelong community. It's a budding community. There's some really good guys down there, so hopefully. Um, we can get some interest. Um, we've, we've. I think the last episode will be shouted out. We'll chuck up the uh, the players pack on the. Actually, that's a good point. I did mention to Val last week the player pack um, is doesn't take you anywhere, so he's going to fix that so that people can uh, actually, that actually helps. subscribe. Yes, that, that definitely helps. Yeah, right. Um, and then we've got uh, yeah, Burn City Brawl, eleventh uh, and twelfth of September. Get your early bird in before the end of the month for five dollars off your entry fee yep i am gonna have to double check if or i'm gonna have to get you to double check because i can't actually remember if i've paid yet or not so i definitely want to get in on that early bird because i will definitely be attending it's... i've arranged my uh my parents to come down 
for that weekend so that they can Ooh. help take care of the girls um, so that I haven't just deserted my wife with two small children. Um, Seems fair. So I've got the whole weekend uh, to uh, to play uh, tabletop miniature games and um, hang out with the boys. Yeah, it's gonna but, be it's gonna be good because we've uh, we're 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 looking at getting a venue that allows us to um, yeah either either a bring our own alcohol or b pay like very little to buy alcohol. Cool. So that'll be nice. Um, it's, it's always a bit of a fun event when you can have a beer and commiserate after round one. Or during, during round one. During, yes, yeah, during, yeah. Drinking during games is, I mean, as you said, uh, Mark is testament to having four beers after round one and uh, <laughs> giving you the yeah. giving you the easy win. Um, we have a new event to announce. Um, so the guys up in Queensland, uh, Brisbane, the, the blokes who do the Transmission Matrix podcast, have... I keep, I keep calling it Transition Matrix. I don't know you're why. You're not I the keep... only person. I, I like. I'm <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty, pretty sure. Every whenever, podcast. whenever, like, whenever I type it in a chat, I always chuck the T straight in the middle of there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this this word, this is a real word. This word, this makes sense. I'll just, this is what they're called to me now. Well, it it was was it? It's not around this season, and it was was it around last season? It, transmission. It was transmission matrix. Yeah, it cannot possibly be allowed to exist in its previous form in N four, but it it did exist in was one one on ooh because it had repeaters in every deployment zone. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be, f- I mean, what, what, what's the big difference between this season and last season? Or N4, N4 hacking exists. Spotlight AROs, guided missiles off of spotlight with no target penalty. Oh, I guess, yeah, because we could, so really the big difference is because you can now spotlight an ARO. Well, and also spotlight with no penalty to the attack roll and also just oh, N- yeah. N4 hacking is a completely different game to N3 and... That scenario would be a hot mess in this edition. Yeah, actually, I get, I, I yeah, because well, I was thinking because like it, it, the same tricks existed in N three, but like yeah, the the neg three for spotlight and then not being able to spotlight an arrow changes things dramatically. But now, if you've got a six sense hacker next to the repeater, just be like, did you move spotlight? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like maybe if there was some sort of like, I mean, a lot of these missions these days have got not a lot of them, but there's a few of more interesting missions where you have to do something before something else can happen. So you have to push a button in the middle to like unmasking. You got to push a button to figure out who the person is. In mind wipe, you got to push a button to figure out where the the thing is. So maybe in something like that, you could have these inactive repeaters all over the place, and you got to go and activate them somehow. Um, mm. Maybe I don't know. It's a cool idea. That's not that's not a bad idea. I was actually having a little thought while I was on the toilet today, um, <laughs> thinking about the I know I'm channeling Julian, uh, thinking about the deactivator skill and how fucking useless that is. Can it just can they just change it or remove it? I mean, nine times out of ten, you're gonna shoot the thing that you're deactivating. Maybe they make it like like sensor or something. Well, they what they got they got rid of sniffers, but. They didn't, I was they just going to say, we lost can. Yeah, right, yeah, they got rid of Snap. Well, they got rid of, they got rid of the Minesweeper and they kept Deactivator, where you could argue that Minesweeper is a far more interesting ability. So what, Deactivator just turns off? Turns just turn, off, just You it? just remove it from play. Just, just It's just turned off, yeah. Whereas, yeah, you, you can just shoot them with a gun as well. Exactly, right, because the, the positive range bands are the same as like a rifle. And Yeah, right. Yeah, anyway, tangent, but still uh yeah so the brisbane open is happening on the 6th and 7th of november in brisbane i guess 
there are there's not too many details for it at the moment it's a 60 player cap with an entry fee of 60 dollars but there sounds like there's a whole heap of other stuff around the event which makes it sound really fun and really interesting um there's going to be like a quiz night they've got some uh some t-shirts they're going to make they've got merch they're going to make they're going to do there's, there's going to be a bar it's going to be in a hotel so there's accommodation on site which sounds really good um hopefully you know we can all travel around by then um uh, so yeah but, it definitely sounds like there's um a lot of effort going into the event and i mean that's a big player cap as well so um we'll have to wait and yeah see how it, it sounds how like they can get out, more than that but at the moment they're just restricted because of covid yeah sure yeah um so you are you planning on get, heading up for that kev what do you think yeah yeah if I, if I can get up for that um 6th and 7th of november at the moment sounds pretty open for me so um yeah it'll be good i've been in touch with the guys from transmission matrix uh they've actually gave us a shout out on their last episode um looking for a bit of a challenge so you know always always open to playing those guys uh when we are able to and kev did you tell me that they actually gave us our new logo is that correct <laughs> yes they did yeah <laughs> yeah um I didn't know this at first. I just thought it was like one of our like you know friendly fans, and then I was like, oh, hang on, Andrew. Oh, he's on. Oh no, but look, so I'll now, take. So now, so now we're indebted to them. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Now we we oh, they own us. Um, <laughs> at least our, from our merchandise point of view. <laughs> right. Um, but it does mean I can now finally start making some patches. So I'm quite excited. I about really that. like it. I lo- I really like the new logo. I it's mean, good. The, the the old one definitely has a has a place in my heart. The old <laughs> classic N3, um, slightly uh, fuzzy, low res, low like. res, <laughs> like absolute MS Paint job yeah, of yeah. copying and pasting those bullet holes into the uh, into the lieutenant symbol. But um, you know, they're not, the new one's very nice. Yeah, it's certainly given our um, given our certainly when I go onto spot uh, onto Spotify looking for us, I'm like, oh, who are these guys? They look professional. This looks professional. Wait a second, is that us? <laughs> well, they've been doing it for two years. Yeah, yeah, mate. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, and then lastly, oh yeah, so we did want to make a, the um, announcement that from what we can discern by reading the tea leaves, that uh, CanCon will be happening in 2020. Um, which is next year, so the next CanCon will 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 be a thing. We don't really have much more information than that, but other than that, um, then it should be taking place from what we can from what we can tell. So that'll be great to get um, what has previously been a really premier event. Yeah, Rob, that's that's your neck of the woods. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, that's the, that's the hope. Um, so as far as I'm aware, uh, CGS Canberra Game Society are intending to run CanCon. Um, it's one of those things. It's really hard to make the call on those big con style events in this, these uncertain times. But they are hoping to, um, hoping to run it, expecting to run it, and if they do, we will have Infinity there. Awesome. And hopefully the uh, the narrative event as well will. Um, yep, will continue. I ran it. Ran it last year, and I'm hoping to. Uh, sorry, not last year. The year, the last can. The last, last can. That was that was 2020. Oh, was it? Yes, it was too, actually. Yeah, it was um, the last thing. It was during the bushfires. Uh, I, I ran the yeah, oh god, I ran the narrative in. Tw- it's the trauma. Um, right. Ran the narrative in 2020. Really enjoyed doing that, actually, and I'm hoping to do so again this, uh, this coming year. A question about. I mean, I don't, you may not have the answer to this yet, but the narr- narrative event will that be running alongside the main ITS in the evening, or will that be before 
after how does that i don't know how the time slots work out but i think last time we ran cancon so we've run it differently in different years we've had it as an evening event in order to condense infinity for people who wanted to travel and we've run it as a day three event in order to allow the evenings to be available for socializing i think that's the one that we'll go with again this year because we had some really good drinks and meals and such after the events yeah i Um, agree I, I did it. I did it when you did the evening one, and I was fucking knackered. Yeah, yeah. I think I yeah I did that as well. That was the, my first CanCon. I did the uh, ITS during the day, and then the um, the uh, narrative during the evening. And like I was like absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Um, and also, it meant that it kind of did knock out all the opportunities to do much socializing. So yeah, by the time we got um, back to the apartment, everyone was like, "We're going to bed." I'm like, oh. No. <laughs> I'm yep, sober. So I <laughs> the plan, the plan, I think, um, to be confirmed, will be to have narrative either as a day one or a day three, depending on how the um, public holiday lines up. Cool. No, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, because yeah, because you because you did King, you did uh, Infinity. I did Kings of War that year, and for some odd reason, Kings of War decided to to run a seven round event over that weekend. So it's four rounds and after day uh, on day one and three rounds on day two, which is. Uh, just, just too much for for me uh, personally. Um, uh, I always, I always forget, Kev, that the first time that you and I ever actually met was on the uh, opposite sides of the Kings of War table. I know, yeah, right. I still remember that. It was very vivid. I was like, who the fuck's this guy running, running a dragon at me in a, in a, a dragon in like a seven hundred point list? Or something. Yeah, I was just like, I know it was, a, it was a dragon and a horde of elf archers. I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I am not going to be his friend. <laughs> mm, here we are. So. Uh, um, so lastly we've uh, I'm just going to plug the June challenge we're going to be talking about it tonight anyway but just as a reminder for the month of June play a game of infinity with a chess clock um, it, we have I have had, have had some questions about how they should use it it's pretty lax um, the way that I guess I would use it and I think Rob has used it as well is um an hour each player uh clocks start after you've you know chosen your list and uh picked your sides and, and drawn your classifieds um when it's your turn it's your time um the only um and then the only time you'd ever swap that over in your own turn is if you need you know a, a, if your opponent needs particularly long amount of time to to decide an arrow um and then uh one if your clock ever runs to zero then you your active turn stops, but you can still air roll. Does that sound about right, Rob? Yep, that's pretty much exactly how we play, and that's to address a few issues that we'll get to in a bit, I reckon. Yeah, so that, that's if you want to do it that way. Um, you can, of course, just totally use it as a tool. You don't have to use it as death clock style. You can just use it to um, you know, take notes and record how long you're taking for each turn and then work out maybe where you're going wrong. Uh, not not wrong, but where you're, where you're maybe losing some time. And... Um, and yeah, just you know, just have fun with it. It's not. Yeah. it's not like supposed the, to be the whole the whole idea of these shit. challenges that we're doing is for people to try out something different and try out something new and see how it impacts on their game. So, like the sixteen inch challenge that we did last month was all about uh, using a limited uh, amount of weapon ranges and 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 not using those certain crutch type weapons that you might often rely on and having to figure out ways around that. This um, is more around. Um, sort of setting yourself a sticking within the the predefined parameters of what a tournament game is which is two hours so having an hour each should make sense if, if you split that down the middle right um 
and that uh, we want we want people to to sort of write up a um, uh, as a bit of a I guess a battle not necessarily a battle report but their learnings how the game went how working to a clock changed the way that they play exactly yeah that's what we want we want you want we want you to get something from it like like just like the 16 inch challenge people were like oh it sounds too hard well you know okay we understand it's it's not an it's not for everybody but if you want to give it a crack it's and- not it's not like if you lose the game that you're playing you're not you're not in contention for for winning a prize right that's not what it's about yeah right yeah and of course the prize is a uh, a bluster of your choice from the wonderful people over at toy soldier imports so, toy soldier imports. so yeah. just to plug plug the guys at toy soldier imports if you do need to get anything uh shipped in for for infinity if you want to do some online purchases they're always the the, the guys that i go to so especially if you live in melbourne right now that's it <laughs> at least until thursday hopefully fuck we'll see um anything else we want to talk about uh we'll go other before we go to a quick break all good good to go all right all right gents we'll, we'll be right back after these short messages all right, so welcome back, listeners. Uh, we are back, and we are getting into our main segment, which is I've aptly titled "Improving in Infinity: Time Management and Efficiency." Which that's it, a working title, but it's basically. I, I uh, feel like you could cut some words out of that, you know, yeah. slim it down, make that title a little bit more efficient. Just improving. Um, <laughs> how to be? How to get? How to get good? Yeah, get good uh, scrub. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that is that is that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So, uh, so it's it's in line with our current challenge, which is about chess clocks, which is about um, making the most of your time. Uh, we're going to sort of delve into this topic a bit and start talking about ways in which we can improve our uh, or manage our time better, so that when we are in a game of infinity, we finish on time and we don't make mistake or we make less mistakes fewer mistakes and um improve our overall game so with that did, in mind, did we want to did we want to just start off with a bit of what rob put in um his review of the tournament that he ran with the chess clocks just to sort of set the scene and see like get a bit of information and sort of base a conversation to begin with around around that how does that how does that sound sure rob we brought you on the show to talk so go ahead and talk all right um so this is, I guess, it's going to jump ahead a little bit because it will be worth once I've had a quick diatribe here, coming back to the like, wh- why is it good to play Infinity quickly and why is it worth going through all of this effort? But just to give the listeners a bit of an idea, um, so we run events in Canberra usually sort of about every five weeks, and every now and again I will break out the chess clocks for them. We've got a supplies part of the game store, so they're easy to access. They're super easy to use once you're sort of familiar with them. Um, I don't bring them out every event. Um, but if I've had a couple of games in previous events where I've had to helicopter TO um, and and like manage people's time for them, I'll bring them out in an event, particularly if I think I'm going to be playing or I'm going to play a couple of rounds. <laughs> and so we ran them for this event, which was also germane given the Lost Lieutenant challenge. Um, so the rules that we play for chess, the rules that we played for this event for chess clocks, firstly was that they were not compulsory, just strongly encouraged. I put one on every table and the players were encouraged to use the clock that was there but if either player was not comfortable or didn't feel happy with it that's okay you just don't use them and i'll i'll wander around and see how you're doing um so to actually go to the thing that i wrote up really quickly if i can find it rob just on that um you mentioned before about chess clocks and whether or not you to if is that more of a kind of also a, a bit of an aid for you if you have to play 
to use chess clocks or do you um, like not so, use them? So, well, so I, I do, um, but not to toot my own horn, but I cut my teeth playing on clock in different game systems and I play Infinity um, pretty quickly. So yes, do have a chess clock there, um, but usually I finish my games about half an hour before round time is up. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I miss. I misspoke. What I meant was, um, if you're running an event and you are toing and you don't have yes. to play, would you do you then like basically is there kind of like a, a point in which you go, well, I have to, I have to Gumby, so I'll use chess clocks because it's like less pressure on me to manage everyone else's time. Or is- um. So yes, but it kind of overlooks the actual problem that I'm trying to solve. Um. So in in an event. Generally speaking, you've got to run, you've got to finish under a certain time. You're playing in a game store, the game store closes. Even if the game store is very generous with its opening hours, sooner or later, everyone is tired and wants to go home and have some food or hang out with each other or just do anything that's not pushing toy soldiers around. Um, so you want rounds to finish in a certain time, which usually is like two and a half hours at most for a round, including your admin. Um, <clears throat> if you don't have another means of keeping time, and what that means as a TO is that you have to you have to do something to make sure the rounds finish. And the traditional solution is you either literally just have a clock and you point to it, and when the time is up, that's it, your round is done, the dice stop rolling and you score your scenario. That's not a great way to do things ideally, because what happens if the player going first has just finished their third turn? The player going second is about to have their pivotal last turn of the game and time runs out. That is a crap experience to have. Um, so the next best solution is as the TO to helicopter around, looking at games like 10 minutes before the round ends, you're like, hey guys, you're still playing. What round is this? Oh, you're just finishing round two? Well, the event is going. The, the, this round is going to end in 10 minutes. You do not have time for a third round. Finish it here. Um, that's still not great, but it at least ensures a moderately fair outcome. Um, so then the third thing that you can do is you can chuck clocks into a round and you can give each player an hour to play their game and you know that each player will have an hour and you also know pretty much guaranteed that the round will finish on time because it's not, assuming the players use clocks correctly, it's not physically possible. The only way that they can exceed your time limit is if they dick around for like half an hour before the round before they start the clocks. Um, so, sorry, to answer the question, I find clocks make it easier to run an event. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially the last like 15 minutes of a round is super useful for doing all of your admin because players will have begun to hand in score sheets. You get those entered. You start doing all of the math, etc. If you can use that time to do your data entry rather than wandering around tables trying to help the Gumbies finish their game up, um, you just get a much better, you get a smooth overall experience. So that is why I like to occasionally use chess clocks just as a bit of a, it gets people into good habits with time management. Yeah, I think that just to quickly add to that, the tournament I ran the other weekend, we had a projector and I had the time <coughs> up on the up on the wall on the projector for everyone to see. Which yep. I think, which I think is a very that in itself is a very useful tool because people can sort of self manage self manage yes. a little bit rather than waiting for the TO to go. You've got half an hour. You've got fifteen minutes. Like they can look at the clock and they can hopefully look at each other and go, "Hmm, I don't think we've got enough time for round three. We won't. We won't do it." So, so I, I found that really useful um, in, my, in my in my in my term. I, I ran as well. So long, as long as people are looking at the clock. 
if you've got access to that, particularly if you can have it displayed really visibly, mm. I think that's, that's actually fantastic. We've got something like it at the store, but it's positioned where all of the Magic players can see it, so it's a little bit of a distance away from all of the wargaming tables. Yeah. So I'd, have to, I'd have to like remount a television, which they probably would not let me do. <laughs> really effective. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, we're, we're continue. I don't know where I was up to. Um, I guess just talking about how the event ran. Okay, so we we talked about the rules around chess clocks that I put in place, um, and the the most important one is that your game you're not you don't lose the game when your time runs out. It's just that's the last order that you spend. Um, they are. I, I think that's. I think it's a really great way to do it as well because yeah. um, to have at have it like a death clock where no, your your clock's at zero, you lose. Um, that's going to create, and I think that's where a lot of these negative um, connotations around chessels come from. Is is games that do run it that way. Yeah. Um, I have a whole thing about that. Which, when you let me, I will. I will. Start okay, recording. we'll we'll keep 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 a pin in that one, and, and we'll. we'll yeah, so a few this bit. A few on. interesting, a few interesting things over the course of the day. Um, so, I did have to intervene twice in games where the players had elected not to use a chess clock. In both cases, the the um, I sort of like just wandered over to see how things were going. Um, I finished up my own round. I'd done my data entry, and uh, in both cases, players hadn't elected to use the clock. But they were having a really good time, and um, in one of them, they um, what was the top table of the time? Actually, they just let time get away from them. They were super enthusiastic, having a really good time, and it was great to have the clock there because normally I would be like, "Listen, we have like ten minutes left. I need you to finish up. This is the last round." I actually just asked them. They both really wanted to finish the game. I'm like, "Could you each play a turn in five minutes? Because we have a clock." So I put five minutes on the clock for each player. The round started pressed go and they blitzed through absolutely blitzed through a turn because they just wanted to see the game outcome helping each other out moving through the right things it ended up taking like two minutes longer one of the clocks ran over time that wasn't the point the point was that they had a time management tool they finished up combined army versus tunguska um very narrow combined army win after a perseus last minute charge through like 10 different aros to assassinate a hvt and um so that in that instance it was useful just to have the clock there even though players didn't elect to use it through the bulk of the game and we took it really just as a guideline rather than a hard rule is a tool in finalizing the game yeah i thought that was a really interesting uh, part that you put about on the um on your post that you put on on the discord there talking about that in particular how saying the clock the the time of the round was running out but the fact that you had the chess clock there meant that with that final 10 minutes you were then able to to allocate that five minutes each which is what you do when you're using a chess clock to then um, to to make it so that that final round was fair for both players, and there you could play a third round rather than stopping the game at the end of the second round, which in a lot of games is really um, can be really disappointing when that happens because yeah, it's a, it's so much can happen in round three, right? Yeah, yeah. Both players, not to put too fine a point on it, if I had had to call the round under normal circumstances, both players would have had pretty bad blue ball. Um, just around like how would the game have ended because they both had plays that they could make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was happy with the outcome there. Um, in another one, the players um, did not want to use a clock, and in this instance, actually, one of the players has he's he's quite aware of it, but he has significant anxiety around competition. Um, it was the bottom table in the third round, and just they were both playing kind of as quickly as they could, but they'd taken a little bit longer, and. Um, they were happy that I just move on to do all of the admin and not enter their scores and wrap the. They they delayed the round event by like fifteen minutes. It was not the end of the world. Um, 
And I was happy to accommodate that because they would have both been genuinely distressed if they'd had to play the entire round on clock. Um, but it was kind of an example of why the more people that you can have really sticking to the two-hour time limit, smoother the event will run. Um, That's interesting that you said that it was like the top table and the bottom table, and they for for two very different reasons. You know, you've got because you know often you hear people say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm an experienced player; I'll play my game, you know, quickly." But if you are on the top play, top table of a last round against another very capable player, you there's a reasonable chance that you're gonna you may take longer because there's more deci- harder decisions to make. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to play games against really good players that have you on the ropes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the, the third interesting game actually was one which you would never otherwise see in an event that you didn't run on clock, where I actually, this was the only round where I told the players, please use the clock. Are you comfortable doing that? They both said, yeah, okay. And the reason was that both of them I knew were just slightly slow players. And one of them in particular had a real tendency to spend a lot of time thinking and executing probably more careful than he needed to. Also, he's a Toha player. And so every movement, he's moving three things at once, which takes more time. And in that game, um, the Toha player took two turns and the Tunguska player took three. Each of them used almost exactly one hour of time. So what, what happened was the Toha player went first in decapitation. Absolutely savage offense. Um, I think he was like, like Janstar, followed up by a preceptor team, followed up by just attack, attack, attack. Um, really like... Uh, Libertos charged forward and like killed the Grenzer sniper, and but the execution and the care and like he he front loaded all of his time and he used an hour to play his deployment and two turns, and the his opponent had time left to play a third turn. So going second in decap, um, he got to play or going anyway whatever it was he was going he got to basically play three rounds to two. And he used that third round to just barely equalize the score. He was behind on lieutenant kills. Um, both of them had killed both of the HVTs. And he just scored enough kills in that third round to flip army points, which meant it was a 7-7 tie. tie. So you kind of mm. like can't argue that the game was in any way unfair. Both players had an exactly equal amount of time. And in, in an event where there was no clock present, I would have had to have called the game at the end of the first Toha player's round two, despite the fact that the Toha player in that game had used like a whole hour or considerably more time and would have been an unfair amount of time relative to the opponent, like significantly different, like half an hour more. I'm I'm a big fan of the um I guess the notion that Infinity at its core is a resource management game, right? You're managing the orders that you have and trying to be as inf- efficient as possible because that's one of the resources we're looking at and your troopers and, and things that they can do as another resource. But then why isn't the time that you have to play the game a resource as well? If you're playing a two-hour game, why don't both players have an equal amount of time as a resource that they can utilize how they see fit? Um, which is why I'm sort of leaning towards being a real big proponent of, of, of this chess clock setup because it does equalize the playing field in, in that regard. Gives, gives both players the same amount of time, same amount of minutes uh, in in the game to do what they need to do. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one because um, when you introduce a new resource to the game, you and it from for some people this will be perceived as a new resource. But it's not a, it's not a new it's resource not, because right, it yeah. already exists. You, there's a time limit there, but. Yep. 
it's it's not it's just not uh, it's not allocated equally. It, p- people can spend as much of it as they want. We until don't it runs track out. It, so there's an expectation that it's simply a matter of good social conduct. Mm. No one, no one that I've spoken to. One of the interesting things here is you do see some obvious like unearthed trauma when this when clocks get mentioned in games. No one that I've spoken to or heard speak I- about clocks in Infinity themselves ever wants to give their opponent a bad game or use more time or anything like that it's always concern about people that they don't know or other people the sort of like imaginary bad person problem everyone everyone at least i assume wants to have a fair game where they do right by their opponent and make sure that everyone has the same amount of mental space and time and etc like so the sort of the core the core idea is solid like you get concern when you raise the idea of tracking the resource rather than just relying on good social conduct. Um, this might be a good time to talk about why um, why that is. So I'm going to just to back up a little bit. I cut my teeth on Wargaming playing a game called War Machine, sometimes called War Machine and Hordes. And I played it for a very, very long time. Um, long enough that when I started playing, it did not use clocks at all. And it introduced a tournament format, which actually had timed turns, but it didn't use chess timers. It used egg, like like cooking like egg timers, basically, where you had X minutes to play a round, and that was it. You had maybe one extension that you could put onto your turn during the game. Those like $2 cooking timers that you can buy, mm. those will be used. And we eventually graduated up to chess clocks as a like fairer or more flexible or more useful way of tracking time. But I, I was present through each of those changes. Um, a lot of people who know about clocks in wargaming come from a war machine background or have heard stories about war machine. And it's really important actually to acknowledge that a lot of those experiences will have been negative because how War Machine introduced clocks and how it runs clocks in events to this day. I don't play anymore, but it runs clocks in events is a model called Death Clock, where when your time runs out, you lose the game. And what that means is that it's not just tracking the time that it's passed, it adds a win condition. And when you add a win condition, you add something for gamers to optimize. And so... Although it is rare, and so like personally, I don't believe I ever lost a game on clock in War Machine. I may have, I don't remember it, could just be old memory, but I certainly have won games on clock. Never like intentionally, but when you track time that way and time gets away from someone and you reach that situation where someone has two minutes on clock, you have a win condition. And if you're playing competitively, you're kind of beholden to pursue that win condition. And if you've ever been in a situation where the win condition relies on timing out your opponent, it's, at best, it is extremely tense. And at worst, it's unpleasant. Two competitive players who both know what they've signed up for in that environment, playing on clock, and one of them is moving to time one another out because that's their easiest win condition. Both of them afterwards will shake hands, say, that was a good game, man, next time I'll play faster, and no hard feelings. But if you don't have that mindset and you're not trying to play a really, really competitive game, you want to enjoy other things about the aspect about the experience, it's it's rough. It's genuinely unpleasant. And you could 
easily be forgiven for watching people play a game on time, two time, two death clock, and imagine that they hated one another because the game gets incredibly tense, incredibly fast placed. Mm -hmm. um, there's an experience you'll come to sometimes hear clock slapping. <laughs> That's clock slapping. <laughs> um, where if you've ever seen a chess clock, you tap the chess clock to pass time to your opponent. And when two players are rapidly passing time to one another, they start like violently hitting the clock to pass time back and forth to make sure that it doesn't stuff up. Um, and the whole experience is like tense and unpleasant. And the idea of importing that into an infinity, which is fundamentally a game where you must communicate openly and clearly and positively with your opponent, is just like, yes. And, and that, that idea, that toxicity, I'll, I'll call it that because that's what it might be in an infinity context. In War Machine, they manage it. It's part of the competitive part of the game. But infinity, I think it would be toxic to the collegiate pleasant atmosphere infinity clock as a victory condition is something that we really really should avoid um yeah i think i think that's, i think that's a really great point um rob my, my i mean my personal experience with chess clocks comes from when i was playing kings of war um because that would be played to a chess clock as well the thing about uh, kings of war is that in your turn you do everything and in your opponent's turn you basically don't do anything your opponent's the one who's rolling all the dice you don't even do your own saving throws or anything like that mm -hmm. um unlike in like warhammer or something like that um so like a chess game where you only touch your own, you only touch your own pieces, um, and you only do you only do things around your pieces. It works really well in that game. I can't remember if they used the death clock as a win condition. No, um, they didn't. They just, but it, it was it was essentially a death sentence because you couldn't do anything in your own turn. So essentially, yeah, so you didn't automatically lose, but you just couldn't. You just yeah. ran out of time, so you can't do anything more. You can't um, do anything more, no. Sure, because because you because you don't even yeah, like you say you don't even, you don't even roll your own saving throws. So there's nothing you have to do until it's your turn. Yep. So they can just run into you, do do the thing, and then it's your turn. You're yeah. like, cool, back to you. Yeah. So and like in, in Infinity, where we where we pride Infinity is uh, anyone who plays Infinity and everyone who loves Infinity one of the reasons that we love it so much is because we pride the social aspect of the game. It's forcing you to have a conversation with the person who's on the other side of the table and you're while you're talking through the moves that are going on, you're asking for AROs and having that conversation as you go. Um, anything that stands in the way of that would be detrimental to the game. So having a situation like you mentioned with the way that it works with, with War Machine where the opponent's like is a really tense situation, you, there's no room for any type of conversation because whose time is that on kind of thing where you can't you can't really pause the 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 chess clock because that can't that defeats the purpose of, of the whole thing um so putting yeah definitely putting putting like the um the win condition in place i think is not something that you would want to see for in for infinity yeah. but using it more of, as a tool to streamline events streamline your own play and refine your decision making is is what is, is the yep. how, where i see it position we we've spoken so i mean i've i've obviously spoken already at length about how running an event with clocks is very helpful in making the event go more smoothly um but actually if if you were going to ask hey you had to choose one running an event on clock or practicing the game with clocks involved i actually almost would recommend the latter because um practicing with clocks is a, it, it builds habits and muscle memory and tools um, that actually are just like super, super useful. I don't need a clock to play anymore because um, I've 
mostly taught myself to play as if I were playing to time. So I finish games quite quickly and I execute things quite quickly. Um, and you, you really can learn that and you can train that into yourself with either chess clocks or if you want to be particularly masochistic, eggshell, uh, egg, egg time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on that using chess clocks to practice like I did it a few years ago when we were practicing for CanCon and I was really surprised and my opponent was really surprised uh, when we you know when we finished deployment we looked at the clock and we're like oh wow I didn't realize you know you took more time than I did or or, or we you know we took longer than we thought we would and I think just having that realization of how long you're 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 taking for decisions for turns kind of makes you think well where can i improve whereas maybe before you're not necessarily thinking about that you're thinking about oh you know i should have deployed better you're now thinking well how can i how can i make this faster or how, or how i can how can i make these decisions uh, quicker yeah yeah and I, I think that's what what we want to do as well at, at the end of the day that's what we want to be what we want to be doing and i think this is a great opportunity to sort of steer the conversation now in that direction we probably talked enough about using chess clocks in a competitive sense probably enough but we can move on to talking about how using them to improve your game and other techniques that we use oh that was a segue i didn't even know what i was doing (laughs) i want to just actually add to that that tracking tracking time even if you just track the time that you spend it can be actually really liberating to know what you spend time on like Play a game, dedicate yourself to making sure that you finish in the two hours, one hour per player, but track where you spend time. And you find that if you do that, like a lot of people who I speak to, and I think this was from listening to an episode that you guys did relatively recently, where you're talking about how much time you use for deployment. I was shocked at how little an emphasis there was on deployment. And it's functionally the first end of the game. If you screw deployment up, you will lose. You have to get deployment right, especially if you're going second. It's totally okay to allocate like 10 or 15 minutes or sometimes more if you think that it'll springboard you into a quicker game. Yeah, t- turn um, turn zero as we as we as we call yeah, it. Yeah, no, right? it's, it's super important. Very important. And people yeah. should allocate a sufficient like the appropriate amount of time to it as long as they finish their games inside an hour. Yeah, but but you have to start from like you say you have to uh, allocate an appropriate amount of time to that. What is an appropriate amount of time? And that's what you've got to sort of determine for yourself in being able to first measure how much time you are using in the, in these in yep. these different 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 phases of the, of the game. Well, so if we're gonna so if we're gonna get into this topic now, so where do we where do we want to start? I've I've put some bullet points up here, but like obviously, pra- you know, we're just talking about practicing. Um, so practicing with your army or with your list if you're preparing for a tournament. Um, is, is there anything you want to like? I guess talk about on that that basic concept of getting getting reps in, right? Um, so, there is no, yeah. There's well, there's no substitute for practice, right? Um, the okay, uh, oh, this is first principle stuff, but um, a game a game will take longer to t- play if you take longer. For each individual decision. The way that you take less time for each individual decision is that you build the experience in your brain to enable those decisions to be made more quickly. Experience is a cheat. If you have to make every decision from first principles, then every decision takes the maximum amount of time and also is exhausting. The brain uses experience to go, I've done this before. What did I do last time? Did it work? Do it again. And it massively reduces the amount of mental energy and it massively reduces the amount of time it takes to make the same decision. Um, you can build mental muscle memory, if that makes sense. That's functionally what it is. You can build physical muscle memory as well. Um, 
that will let you move much more quickly through the routine parts of a game compared to the like the decisions that you you have to make. Is this the moment I reveal my Noctifer? Everything hinges on this. Is yeah. this the attack that I commit to? Do I? You can is if you practice any practice, literally with any army, but ideally with the army that you're playing in the scenarios you're playing, you can build that experience that lets you make decisions. Yeah. This is, that's the big thing that I picked up from my, um, my training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? And as a martial, in, as a martial art, where you talk about drilling and uh, re- repetition and, like, and getting the reps in, in, in on that side of things. Because um, if you're, like, you, like you say, Rob, if you're having to use your brain to, to decide what's going to happen with all these different things that are all these different moving parts, then you're always going to be slower than the person who is able to do that on, on instinct. And what, what is instinct rather, other than something that you've just drilled and developed into yourself so that your body knows what to do without your brain having to figure it out from, from the ground up. So, and, and that, that applies just as much to a, um, to a wargaming perspective where you get the reps in and you do the drills and you know the situation that you're in and what the, what your, what your best situation, your best move to get yourself out of that situation could be because you've been there before. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 actually, sorry. Oh, sorry. Rob, I, I was just, I really just going to follow up. Yeah. Okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, it just that resonated with me because um so if you, if you yeah like you've done martial arts stuff like that you you train your body to just respond with the appropriate counter defense block etc in a very long time since i've done any but um that that muscle memory the equivalent like the equivalent of that unconscious reaction you can you can learn that stuff in infinity even like really simple things people talk about deploy your army prone if in doubt put models prone um, if you're not sure they're going to be standing, you don't know, just, just, it's fine. Everything is prone. That's the equivalent of the unconscious response, where if you just have that as a standard practice and you learn how to, you, you, you just do it as a matter of course, then you don't have to think about every single model. Does this deploy standing or does this deploy prone? What's the best thing? Just deploy everything prone. That's your best practice. Mm-hmm. And then you can consider about like, oh, are there one or two things I should have in a different situation? Sorry, Kev. Yeah, no, I was, I was. You you mentioned first principles there, and as you were talking, I was thinking about like other things, and maybe this is this is also for very useful for new players. Is just um, learn learn your like times tables. I guess um, is a very basic thing as well. So when you first start playing, um, you know, remember rem- know that the know, know that the damage of a rifle is thirteen. Know that line troopers are generally armor one. No, that armor is arm. No, that cover is armor three. It's plus three armor. So therefore, if you're shooting them with a rifle, you need tens, right? Done. Like move on. Like there's no. Just a quick clarification there, Kev. Kev um, armor does not give plus three armor. It actually reduces reduces the, the damage. damage yes. Okay. Okay. Three. Yeah. So it, it take it takes a it takes an so a rifle shooting something in cover takes it down to from damage thirteen to damage ten. Right. These are these are uh, these are simple things that you see uh, new players kind of like go. Oh, what's the what's the damage um of this thing or what's my bs like um and sometimes if in doubt just roll the dice and figure out if it matters afterwards that, that's something i was going to bring up there as well kev you you find some people it's not necessarily an analysis paralysis but they have to know what the target number is before they roll the dice yeah as right? if the, as you, if the gods see, will change the number because they don't exactly know. Yeah. well like like i'm taking my armor saves right oh but but exactly what's the number i need to get to to beat that well, why don't you roll the dice? If you've rolled a one, a three, and a four, I'm pretty sure you've just failed three times, 
right? We don't need to do all the math straight up to figure out exactly what it's going to look like. If you were looking at, oh, there's cover there, but it's got an AP weapon. What's the exact number that I need to figure out? Well, you can bypass you can bypass all that all that thinking if you don't have to do it, kind of thing. Or if yeah. you roll three twenties, I'm pretty sure you're okay. Yeah, uh, that was basically was uh, yeah talking about just those those basic, real basic mu- muscle memory things um, that can help you speed up your gameplay. Um, just 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 from learning the game, and that's all goes back to like learning your army. You know, knowing that you're you're playing Pano, cool, everything's BS twelve. Um, you know, or or or, or fifteen. Or fifteen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, knowing what the blessed skill, blessed skill of, of your stuff is, and and knowing at, at, at a glance, you know what you might need to shoot something that is, you know, thirty two inches away and in cover with mimetism. You're like done. Okay, I'm you know plus three minus six done. Roll some roll some dice, and it, that's not for everybody because some people obviously don't have that ability to to do those quick math. I think I think sort of moving on to that point, one thing that I do want to bring up, and I'm like I might be jumping on this a little bit, but um, sure, everyone prints off their army lists, right? That's something that you do as standard. You print off your army list, print off your county list, all that sort of thing. I haven't done it um, once in N4. <laughs> really? Yeah, not once. No, I haven't. And I think uh, after having this conversation, well, I, I think, reckon I'll change I think my mind. Do, I think you're doing yourself yourself a disservice because the thing I, I wanted to bring up was uh, not just printing off your army lists, but attacking those army lists with a highlighter with a red pen so you can underline and highlight the things that are important and the things that you want to be able to remember that that are on that on that list right um having a a model that has a few different weapon types so uh, this happened to me in a game against ben in a, a few months ago where i had um uh the uh the the Lei Gong, the uh, Yujing special character, um, and he's got a, he had like a shock marksman rifle or something and a blitzen. And I was in a face to face roll with his tag and just completely forgotten that it had a blitzen, right? Uh, and so I shot with the with the rifle. I won the roll, but he passed his armor saves. If I'd shot him with the Blitzen, if I'd remembered that it had that weapon, the result of that face to face roll would have been completely different. Um, and if I had underlined that that guy had that weapon in his profile when i looked at the sheet of paper to figure out what weapon i'm i'm i'm, I'm shooting with i wouldn't have had to i, I wouldn't have mm. missed that there's an option for me that i should be using in this situation yeah so that that's that's first of all comes from experience with the army but then i guess moving into uh what i what we call like gaming aids i guess ways physical things you can you can have in front of you to help you play faster and I, I honestly don't didn't really give much thought to um, printed army lists um, until relatively recently when um, when I was talking to Hector about the, the the tournament he won and just the amount of detail he puts on his printed army lists and how that could help trigger my brain and to going oh yeah this this guy is uh, has also has a heavy pistol or oh this guy is six two move um, you know, any of those sorts of things but also. Um, army builder does tend to crash sometimes mid game. I don't know if, it ever, if if it's ever happened to you guys. It's happened to me all the time, where I'm just like, oh, I'll just I'll just remind myself what the, this guy's got again. Oh, hang on, sorry, I just need to 
load the list. Uh, yeah, bear with me, bear with me. And here it is, and scroll, and scroll, and scroll. Oh, there it is, right? I've just lost 10 seconds of my turn looking for whether or not at my... Least, at least, at 10 least. Seconds. If that took you 10 seconds, then that was, you knew exactly where you were going inside yeah. that builder. Yeah, so so having having an army list is, is something I'm going to probably do more frequently. I mean, I, I know, and I know technically it is something that you have to have as part of ITS, but... Technically, yeah. uh, it, well, it is, but it's it's something that I don't know how heavily enforced that is. I don't know, uh, but um, just something to add to that. Actually, I really, really, I've, so I've played against Hector, and I know what you're talking about, and I enjoy kind of enjoy talking hearing you talk about the like Bible that he has. But mm-hmm. um, so one of the one of the challenges with just saying practice, which ultimately is the the ultimate panacea for improvement, <laughs> is that not everyone has time. We've got dads, we've got people who are like only in town occasionally. There are all sorts of restrictions on everyone's time, especially in these uncertain times where not everyone can leave the house all the time. And the idea of taking your army sheet and going through it yourself before a game and highlighting relevant elements and like adding to or like changing the, the changing the visual layout of the list for identifiers, that's almost like study. And mm. that's that's incredibly useful because the first, like the very first thing that will make you play more quickly is knowing your own stuff. Because then you don't have to dedicate mental loops to those searching and understanding. The, the more you can lighten that load, the more you can pay attention to what your opponent is telling you and showing you. And the act of if it's something going through your own army list is something that you can do outside of the game. And it's functionally that act of like highlighting is a learning reinforcement tool that you can do at a time that you couldn't spend going to the game store because you're a dad and you've got two kids and you can't leave the house all the time. But you can print something out really quickly on the printer and, and go through it with a highlighter. 100%. And yeah, like, as you say, it's, a, it's a, a learning reinforcement tool in that, like, when I've gone through something with a highlighter, it's not necessarily the fact that that's highlighted on the sheet that points it out to me it's still in my brain from when i was reading it and i hit the highlighter with it that's the bit that's reminding me the bit that's in the back of my mind Mm. of the action of me highlighting that bit knowing that it's there not even necessarily the fact that it's highlighted taking me back to my study days exactly yeah 100 (laughs) and and so so if like if you were to get someone else's if you were to give someone else your army list and get them to highlight all the important bits it wouldn't be nearly as effective is what i'm saying no, and that is a it is a great segue into physical gaming aids that you can have with you that can just make the experience. Well, well, slow down, Rob. Who who gave you permission to segue? <laughs> I just stole yours. I just, I mean, I think they would get us back on track since I completely derailed the wonderful. Segue no, that's fine. No, 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 let's go. Let's go. That's great. No, physical. Awesome. Uh, so yeah. physical game, gaming aids. Um, I don't know if you want. Seeing as we've been talking about Hector, I just wanted to shout him shout him out. Um, because we had a few people. Uh, comment on when Hector won the recent tournament, people were asking for his list because he was running White Company, which is uh, not a commonly seen um, army out there at the moment and certainly not uh, winning tournaments, although it is very good. Um, He shared his army list, but he actually shared photos of the printed army list that he took on on the day. And while the lists were very good themselves, what drew the most amount of attention was the handwritten notes that he put on the pieces of April paper. So I asked Hector just to send us a little, I mean, I honestly just said like a paragraph of like how he, you know, does it. And he's actually sent me his, his command Bible. So he's given me, he's given me uh, permission to share it. So we will do that after the show. 
but we I wanted we wanted to just bring uh, attention to some of the some of the points he raised um, in 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 the, the the Bible as he as he as he calls it, and um, you know the first few points are kind of what we've already discussed. Where you know you 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 read the missions, you practice the list, you build the list for the missions, etc. etc. Uh, but where it gets very interesting is when he talks about his notes. And uh, he he mentions that you know as well as highlighting his his army list, he also likes to draw, um, I guess, graphics on his uh, on his army list that might sort of depict a, a a typical deployment for him. So it'll show where his link teams are, it might show where his engineers are, uh, where his specialists are, and then depending on the mission, it'll be a case of you know he'll he'll have um, sort of notes and graphics that'll say. Uh, you know, for example, like this specialist needs to go here, and it'll be, you know, it, it will be escorted by by this unit, um, and it'll, and it's not just to give him a game plan; it's also to, also to check him for when he maybe, um, just to keep him on the, I guess, keep him on the track. Um, uh, you know, if things starts to go, if things start to go wrong for him, or if things, if he forgets what he's trying to do, it'll, um, it's there to kind of remind him, like, oh no, this model. I can't lose this model. I need this model to push this button, or I need this model to claim this zone. Um, I, you know, this this model is going to be this model is going to be safe, and I'm not going to needlessly lose it in the in the attempt to take down my opponent's uh, piece. So um, I found that very useful, and I found the the uh, the graphics that he uses being that our brains are prim- primarily visual. Um, I found that really useful because you know even when I'm looking through. A, a sheet of text. I'm not going to pick out everything important in there. But if he has, if he has diagrams and pictures, then that's going to um, fire your brain into to reminding yourself. Oh yes, I need to do this. So that was really good. Is there anything um, you guys had a quick look at through it as well? Did you have anything you wanted to bring attention to um, that he's written? Um. So the two the two things that I really liked. Um, firstly, was yeah, I loved the idea of using shapes and drawings. Um, for exactly the reason that you said, where it's it's easier to visually interpret a, a diagram at a glance than a line of text. Um, so it's that lightening of mental load. Um, the second is just so I mean I've played Hector a few times and I I can confirm like he, he refers back to like the things that he's written and stuff. And it's one of the few examples I've ever seen of of someone actually successfully translating a planning effort into the gameplay. Normally, Infinity is extremely dynamic. It's got a whole bunch of elements in it that make it resistant to solving in advance. Um, hidden deployment AROs, uh, the nature of risk in the game, um, the unpredictability of the turn structure generally, the probability space in Infinity because of the order structure is literally orders of magnitude larger than the probability space in games that have single activation per unit um, because any model in any combat group can activate 10 times, which means you have a hundredfold the number of possible ways the turn can go. Um, but but Hector has these like principles and ideas that he wants to direct the game back towards. And um, okay, I'm going to get really like business nerdy for a second here because <laughs> go for it. Um, I did some so uh, recently I've been doing a bunch of stuff with regards to professional negotiation in the corporate com- corporate context. And one of the things that they emphasize is planning. It's the work that you do in advance of going into the room and talking to the other party contributes anything up to like 80% of the outcome. And there's research like Cambridge has done on that and stuff. And if you actually think about it, that's not remotely surprising um, because 
all of the prep work and all of the thinking and knowing what your position is and understanding everything is super, super important. Infinity is actually, as a game, is shockingly like negotiation because you are engaging with another party who will want certain things and you want certain things and you're you're trying to push your own outcome. I'm not going to get too far into that because the analogy doesn't hold particularly long, but the, the work that Hector does is the equivalent of that planning where it's something that he can do that is not taking up time and mental process at the game. He's able to front load it um, and he's able to refer back to it and he's able to have a set of principles that he can work to. And there's no reason why anyone can't do this. Now, what mm. you might find is the case is that you'll come up with a plan and if you're new to the game, the plan will be bad because <laughs> there are things that you won't understand. You're like, I'm going to um, not take any of... I'm not going to try and enter into the arm. Actually, that could be a good one. I'm trying to think of a bad plan that you could execute. Um, I'm going to push really aggressively at the very beginning of the game in a scenario that doesn't reward that. I don't know. Maybe that's actually a good plan. Whatever. The point is, stick to it. Learn like you'll Because you'll, you'll learn how to plan by planning, playing, and failing. You'll have another data point that you can analyze and figure out what went wrong and time that when you're at work or on the toilet or not playing the game because you only get one game every couple of weeks maybe. Yeah, and so that, that sort of goes back to that point we were making previously as well about saying that, sure, you want to practice, but that practice hours that you're putting into the game before game day does not necessarily have to be on the gaming table. It can be time you've spent coming up with these plans and strategies and synergies within your list and, and what you're taking on the day to figure out where things are going to go, how they're going to interact with each other in an ideal situation. And in a non-ideal situation, when those things start to fall over, what you do next after that. So yeah. that type of preparation is stuff that does not have to take place on a in a practice game context. You can do that outside of that. Some of the genius of our Hector does it as well is that he does his planning and then he presents it back to himself in a way that is easy to digest mm -hmm. and always time efficient. So he can have done this planning, but then access it in a way that actually speeds the game up rather than slowing it down. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, for us to try and describe what this diagram looks like on, ha on Hector's um, army list that, that he gave Kev after the Cerberus event, would it would just be... Like, make no sense to us. Make no sense at all trying to no. describe what this actual picture is. But he's kind of got like what the the little models on the little circles of what things can go in what link teams when certain things fall out, what can replace them in those links, what's it, what makes a Harris and what's an alternative Harris, what makes the core. All of that sort of looks like this like fucking what do you call it like a like like molecules, molecules yeah like yeah. molecules like connecting together on this on this diagram we'll share another picture of it when we post the episode because it is fascinating to look at but to have that in a visual um context rather than just sort of writing a list of the names of the units in a list of what can go where but having it in that diagram that you can look at at a glance and know what yeah. what goes where uh, this may not be like the correct term but i would describe like and i'm something that i get a wrong more often than i care is is i'll go into a game with a mental note going don't do that kevin or do this remember to do this and then i get to like the end of the game like i forgot to do that whereas if i had written that down even if it wasn't written down in plain english it might have been a diagram for me to refer to and go aha yes bear that in mind like an anchor or something to pull you back to this to to this point of you know, this is zero whatever point that you can be like, okay, I'm back here. Oh yeah, remember to do this. Yeah. When we first started making this podcast, Kev, for the longest amount of time, I had a note written down on a piece of paper that said, don't interrupt over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. So on the screen, you idiots, 
could see that you're not supposed to interrupt people. When it's talking. such a such and a visual thing, yeah. Exactly. That sort of thing as a constant reminder um, is uh, is – is, is integral to reinforcing those behaviors that you want to, that you want to in place in yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we, we'll might come back to Hector's uh, Bible as we go on because there's a couple more points that maybe feed into the other broader topics further down later on. Um, but is there anything else? Um, I guess we can talk about other gaming aids. We've, we've talked about the army list that you print off and uh, mm-hmm. making visual make, making notes on the list to help you remind yourself about what each unit has or your general battle plan um uh, something else that i um uh, got myself uh, over a year ago which has really improved my decision or my ability to play games faster is um is a is a basically a tournament tray uh, that holds all of my my orders and my models and my uh, my tokens and that in itself has been fundamental in making me play quicker um especially especially on a three or five round event um do you guys do you guys use those what, what do you guys have i don't i don't use a tournament tray but i do have a very specific way that i set out my tokens okay yep i guess um, that's the same thing right in, yeah. yeah in 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 every game that i'm playing where i'll have the tokens set out on the table um in like they'll have two rows of because I'll have two two separate piles of tokens, which is going to be my um, group one and group two for the orders, and the way that they line up with a certain number in each row, and then the uh, irregulars in a certain position as well, and then other orders that that also are included there, in in a very specific way, so that I know exactly what is in which group, how many orders I've got available, and and, and what's available to me. Having easy access to the other things that could potentially come out of those those groups as well so if i've got a unit that's got deployable repeaters having my little deployable repeater markers ready to go on the side mm-hmm. things that i could potentially put into separate suppressive fire having the suppressive fire tokens ready to go things like that and having not having to sift through my i've got like a fishing tackle box um yeah. which, which is where they all live and so i do have to sort of sift through them to get them ready but once the game starts most of the time, unless, unless there's something that's very specific that I've that slipped my mind um, at the at the start of the game to, to get it ready to go, everything's already out there in a certain place that I know where it is, so that I'll be able to get to it and access it when I need to. So, for, for an aspect of tokens, don't disparage the humble fishing tackle box um, because that is a the fishing tackle box is a really excellent bare minimum level of organization particularly yeah, so, so, but I'll, t- I'll tell you why my, why my fishing tackle box is terrible mm-hmm. is because the the barriers to each side don't go all the way up to the lid uh, so when you close one. it and it shakes around everything moves around yeah, and goes in different, different terrible spots. design so i definitely needed to to get a different one because yeah. the one that i currently use is just the absolute worst that means there is no distinction between your fishing tackle box and, and just box. just just a lunch box <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lunch box with with some with some obstacles for your tokens yeah. That's right. Yeah, having having your shit organized enough that you can that you don't have to distract yourself futzing around looking for a specific token uh, is just Mary Kondo. That shit. Like yeah. get, get things organized, get into then that's that's not difficult. You can go down to any dollar store and buy a reasonably passable little. I'm going to hold one up now, I think, so the guys mm-hmm. can see it. Like literally. Mm-hmm. It, it costs $2 at the op shop and yeah. you can just organize your tokens into it so that you can access them when you need it. Like just spend more money than whatever it was that I did. Yeah. 
Yeah. And have have a system in that as well, right? Like, so I've got a little, it's a little like um, stationary organizer um, or something like that. And it's got um, every order token in one big tray. It's got every wound and unconscious marker in one tray. It's got every status inflicted by hacking in one tray. It's got mines and camouflage markers. It's got a whole tray full of prone markers because you always need prone markers. And then it's got some like random stuff that I understand the organizational system for in like the two remaining compartments. And that that means that if I need something, I can get it quickly without having to stop and think about where my shit is. I can do it unconsciously. I can be like, all right, that, that model just got wounded. Red tokens, they're all there. Grab one. Yeah, done, 100%. And, I, and as for prone, prone, prone markers, I seem to lose them at every event I go to. I'm pretty sure I started with 20. I think I have 10. Uh, <laughs> they just disappear into buildings and, oh, fuck, that was, oh, never mind. Uh, no, it's such an important thing. Uh, before I used it, it was like a fishing tackle box and I'd open them all up and then every, every game I'd put the order tokens back away and now I've got my, but now I've got my tournament tray, providing I'm not, and generally speaking, my armor lists aren't too different from one another, but the fact is I can lay it up before the round starts and I've got all my orders in my tournament tray ready to go. I know exactly where they are, what combat group they are in, and we can start without having to, you know, move stuff around, um, fish them out or uh, and that sort of thing. Um, silhouettes for, for me for the longest time were um, something that I always make sure I've got you know, in a line down one side of the table with all the different silhouettes uh, heights because invariably you're going to be like, oh, okay, can I just, just chuck an S2 down there? We'll just check the line of fire. Oh, where's the S2 gone? Oh, it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, that again takes time every time, you know, to um, to have that out. I was actually thinking today, I need to get some 3D printed and make some circular ones. I've got some of those. They're useful. Yeah, I think that they're 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 the way forward for me. Um, having the flat ones is is fine, but I think having the circular ones that can kind of nest, well, they don't obviously all nest very well, but um, having them, I think, is is a is a great idea. So anyone who who has a three D printer and and those dimensions, that'd be great. I'd love to circular what? What do you Sil- what silhouette? Do you yeah, yeah, but like so, it's like like solid the whole things yeah it's either solid or it's or it's hollow in the middle but as long as the the the, the cylinder that is supposed to represent a trooper the, so the whole the whole 3d space is yeah exactly is, is yeah because right, right, you know right, right, right. usually it's just a flat thing yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah, okay i understand yeah are those are they, are they solid rob or are they hollow no, okay so the, the audience cannot see this but what i have here are a pair of um they are hollow cylinders with a two and a three as a the, like open space on top of um, each of them. Ah. That is so. That is a visually easy to grab, very light, nesting internally, cylindrical um, silhouette. Uh, there are two reasons why they are. There are two reasons why they're useful, and one why they're bad. The reason why they're bad is that they are ugly as sin. They look a lot worse than, particularly for like camouflage markers. Mm. I, I really like three D camouflage markers, but I wouldn't use these because they're nasty. Um, they just because it's just a cylinder. It looks yeah. ugly. Um, but they are really good because. Two-dimensional silhouettes are very you, – you will finagle them being like, oh, hang on, I'm just trying to see if I can see the back of the top of your base. Can you turn the silhouette mm. sideways? Put a 3D marker down that occupies exactly the volume of the model, and you'll never have to ask that. You just put it down. Can you see? Yes, done. 
Yeah, I think TTS has been a good thing for that because that's mm. what the you know the you just hit, you just hit that button and the whole thing turns into that yeah. uh, full volume. I want yeah. to. I definitely want to make some of those. I'll, I'll hit you up after the show, Rob, and see if I can get some. I don't fucking have a three D printer. The local game store sells them, but oh, okay. it's not a hard STL to make. I'm sure. No, I wanted to circle back a little bit to so order tracking and shit. Um, language. Sorry. The so Mate, first, you, do you know where you are? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the um. Firstly, the, the order trade that you've got, Kev, um, is it one of the ones that you can like slide the order up and down to represent whether it's been spent? Correct. Yes. Yep. Those are super cool and very useful. How do you guys how do you guys track your orders during a turn in terms of like um, uh, as casualties accrue and like order count and stuff like that? Do you just do your order count at the beginning of the turn, or do you have shortcut routes for making I, that easy? I usually when when a model of mine goes unconscious. I will because I have the orders set up. Then at the end of my turn, I'll flip them all back over for everything that's left alive. If something then in my opponent's turn gets goes unconscious or gets killed, if it goes unconscious and I've got something that can bring it back, like an engineer, and I plan on bringing it back to get that order back in the future, I'll just flip that order over as if it's already been spent. If that model in that order group gets killed, I'll take that out at that point. Mm. So that's how during my opponent's turn, I'm instead of at the start of my turn having to count how many models I've got left on the table, I will have already taken that order away from my pool at that point when it when that model got taken out, so that it's a bit of a shortcut. That's a good that's point, actually. What I do. Yeah, that's a really good point because that's something else that people and I do as well waste some time on at the start of my turn going. Wait a minute, I'm I'm sure I had nine models. Yeah, how many what? have I got left now? Is nine. that guy is this unconscious it, and that thing over there died or yeah, where's that thing? Oh, oh, is that thing I move, that I put inside that building or which building did I hide that inside of? Did I move that? that to combat grip number one before or uh and it, it, it does happen and, and the what can make it harder to do is when your models only go unconscious. Because then you're like, I have ten orders, ten models in this group, but two of them are unconscious. Oh, I can't move it in across. It's it's tracking is tracking that as well. So sometimes tracking it during your opponent's turn can be good for you. It can be. Um, that, that's I, I, why. I, that's why if something goes unconscious, I'll flip it over and leave it in the pool, like mm. at the bottom, flipped over. So it's if it's if it's flipped over at the start of the turn, I can see it to see that. Oh, that's the guy that's unconscious. He's in that group. Still. Yeah, I, I still like to. I always go back to my opponent and go, okay, so I've lost two models in combat group number one, I've lost one group in num- combat group number two. They're all unconscious, so the so the orders are still here, they're just they're just they're just not hundred um, percent. I, I still do that as well and, and and have that verbal exchange, but I um, have set uh, shortcuts in place for myself that means that sure I'm still saying that out loud, but it's happening on autopilot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and avoid yourself the thirty seconds of physical counting and mental effort that's involved in doing a manual count. If you develop a practice for tracking orders that are lost during the course of your opponent's turn, yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a good point to definitely to um, to raise. And I know I've had a few people uh, query my tournament tray just because when you're looking at it upside down. Um, the way that it's designed it's that's like- that's actually that's something i would wanted to raise before when you were talking about that is that having played games against you using that tournament tray personally i don't like it that much because it does make it more difficult for me to understand exactly what's happening over there um as opposed to if you're using because they're all acrylics as well so they're all see-through things are up things are down i don't know which direction means what yeah so from from that perspective um I've definitely had some feedback about that, so I've I've made some ways to um I'm, and I may actually try to color 
the tournament tracker a bit darker so that's easier even, to see them. even if you even if you like make because the thing at the your the tracker itself is just bare mdf like yeah. mdf right if you were to spray that whole thing black yeah so that the acrylic tokens are then more pronounced against the black background as opposed to like the wood colored background which it all kind of blends together I think um, that's right, yeah. And I think the other thing on my t- tournament tree is, is is it's not like 10 orders across the middle. It's five and then another row of five and then group two is five and another row of five. So if you don't know that, you look at it and be like, wait a minute, where, where's what's going where? So I've made I've made ways to to make people aware of going, this is group one, this rectangle is group one, this other rectangle is group two. So don't, don't they don't go across the way. So, um, but it's a good point and I think I will spray them the only problem with spraying them as i've heard it, it can make it go tacky and it can kind of scratch so i'll may have to i don't know varnish or do something about that varnish yeah i'm sure there's ways around that there definitely is there definitely is i just i'm being lazy i want to add one other thing about the value of tracking your orders over the course of your opponent's turn um so the the process that nick laid out for people was since we've, we've moved past it since is you start the game with all of your orders out and at the end of your turn, you flip all of the orders back to face up if you're using one-sided tokens so that they're all there again. And as you take casualties, you either preemptively flip them over to indicate that that model has been a casualty or you remove the token from the pool entirely if it goes dead. Um, what, Among other things, what that means is that as your opponent is playing their turn, you have a real-time display of the resources that you're about to go into your next turn with and how they're shrinking. So you do not have to wait until you have finished your order count at the beginning of your turn to formulate a plan. You can know five minutes before the end of your opponent's turn, all right, my first combat group is down three troopers, which means that a course of action I might previously have taken is off the table. And it just it saves planning time because you're using your opponent's time to think. Mm. And uh, something else I wanted to point out about um, and maybe this is slightly well. No, it does. It does feed into to that. But making sure that when you do put your tournament tray or your order tokens, your silhouettes, everything else, make sure it's in an easy to reach place. Like mm. just make sure it's like again, it's muscle memory, right? Like I'm left. I'm left-handed. I tend to have. I tend to prefer to have things on my left. Sometimes, given the way the table's designed, I have to have things on my right. But that's just a thing that I have to deal with. Um, I like to have things on my left. My tape measure is generally always on my left unless I've put it on the other side of the table, in which case I, I don't know where it is now. It's gone. Um, have it in an easy-to-reach place that is not... And sometimes, and I've seen people do it before, uh, they'll, they'll put them on top of buildings that aren't being used. Nice, easy place to reach. You're not going to knock things over. Your opponent can see it as well, which is also incredibly important. Make sure that if you've got like a, a foot of board next to the next to the actual table put all your stuff there and don't put your water bottle or your beer glass in front of it so your opponent can't see it make sure it's easy to see for everybody uh, because that also helps your opponent see what they're doing and also they don't have to then ask questions about wait how many orders do you have left i didn't see that because you had your stuff in the way Um, you have an army case between me and your order pool i can't see you spend stuff i have to ask questions constantly yes yeah and then having all that in that having that frame of mind going well i need to be able to show my opponent what i'm doing um will lead to a faster game as well so you've blown my mind with that like i'm left-handed so i prefer it on the left i'm right-handed but I prefer my tokens on my left. That's, like, that's ah, me as well. That's me. That's, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I have all my stuff on my left. Um, 
and I'm but I'm right-handed as well. I think it's because I always have my tape measure in my right hand. So ah, I, I there you go. Well, I'm, but I often, like you mentioned there, Kev, as well, I often will use, like, if there's a building, a rooftop of a building that I'm not putting any model, models on and it's big in my deployment zone, that's mm-hmm. where I'm putting my tokens. Makes them a little yeah, bit closer good. to me so I can see them better as well. Yeah. Um, now that I have to wear glasses. We can all, we can oh, all yeah. see them better. They're, they're, up, they're up out of the way. It's, it's, it's really easy to, to, to see. Um, oh, uh, some, some, the middle of the table is a dice tray before. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm a big proponent of uh, of rooftop dice trays. Rooftop dice trays. Hundred percent, all the time. Uh, one thing I don't like to see, and and uh, is people who stack their orders on top of each other. Yeah. Like a like a money bag thing. Um, mostly oh, because true. at some point I go, which ones the act was spent, which ones are not spent, and at some point they'll become the same, and I'll be like, back back when um. I, that's interesting. Back when I used to play um, uh, Star Wars Armada when it first came out, when I was living in the UK, there was one of the guys who was who played that, who like played X Wing previously, but didn't play X Wing anymore because he'd basically been exiled from the <laughs> X Wing community for like dodgy play. Oh. But there was like what he would do because like I can't remember exactly how it worked, but like as you'd spend commands, you'd move them from one pile to the other, but then there'd be like at one point one pile would have two in it the other pile would have three in it and at that point the pile that is moving them from would just change yeah and so he'd give himself an extra command to spend because he was just flat out cheating and like you'd call him out on it and be like oh i just didn't realize like just play dumb yeah if you don't realize and your opponent does like (laughs) i've got i've got one good mate that does actually do the chip stacking thing but he's really disciplined about it so the orders that he has left in the turn, firstly, he'll divide them by color. He's got yellow tokens for a regular in one combat group and like green tokens for a regular in combat group, and he splits them apart. And then secondly, as soon as he spent an order, he just removes it from the table entirely and it goes off into a little, like a little repository. Mm-hmm. So you can always see, it's never like moving from one stack to another. You can see the count diminish. Diminishing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that. Um, it's, it's not quite the same. I do have to occasionally be like, how many orders do you have left? Because I can't tell at a glance. You can't see four or three. Yeah. Um, but if, if, in terms of what works for him and what is tactile and lets him play quickly, it's not the worst solution. It, it works. No, that's that's fair. Uh, yeah, I think as long as it's clear to the opponent, then that's that's the main thing. Because again, it reduces questions uh, and stop stop stops some play um, to like go back and go. Oh, I spent one order to move, one order to move and shoot, one order to hack, one yeah. order to press. Having to do a recount is yeah. such a waste. Time. It's a waste of time for everybody. I mean, yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, I mentioned tape measures before. Rob, what do you... Um, do you- <laughs> this one, I didn't even realize that I had done this until you. I saw it written down in the show notes, which is have have like two tape measures. I am a like inveritate tape measure loser where I constantly... I, like Because I'll, I'll be like right on the opponent's side of the table because like a drop troop or a specular or a gripe operator or something is there. Jan Star recently doing horrible shit. Um, <laughs> and I'll just leave the tape measure in places constantly. I have... So for like the last six months, I have literally just had two tape measures so that one of them is always within reach. And I don't have to be like, opponent, can you see where I put my tape measure? <laughs> and literally just before the event on Saturday... I left one of them at the store and it's gone now and I have to get another one. And also we're doing house measurements. So I had to lend a third one out to my partner and he hasn't given it back. And um, so I was down to one tape measure for the event on Saturday. And I was constantly like, where did I put my tape measure? It's behind, it's behind this building. Like, but, but, then, but that's also then mental 
load that you're putting on. Yeah, no, trying to remember where the tape measure is when you should be using that that mental capacity to play the game that you're playing, right? Yeah, two tape measures. I, I am I am the absolute worst for misplacing my tape measure. I will do it like I reckon at least a dozen times in a game. I will have to try and locate where my tape measure yeah, is. Yeah, hard time. Um, like. To like, I mean, this is kind of separate as well. And I did bring this up before we started recording, but like at Kev's Cerberus event, I was so good with my tape measure, I didn't even bring one. Um, <laughs> because, uh, like I'd, I'd recently broken my previous tape measure because I like pull, pull, I have a habit of pulling the, the, the tape out and just letting it snap back in. And then the like the metal hook on the end snapped off. So, and then I just like, I've got another one. I just didn't put it back in my case, but, um, I, so for each game, I had to borrow my opponent's tape measure. But I also, I know it's the worst. It's whole, such a horrible feeling, right? You're time. like, yeah. I'm so sorry about this, but I need to use your tape cause, measure. Because it'll get, exactly, because it'll get to like your turn and the guy will still be holding the tape measure and you'll be like, can I, um, can I, can I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I need well, that? Well, so <laughs> I, do, I do have, um, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I do have one of those uh, like acrylic widgets that's got like eight inches along one side, two inches on another, one inch on another, and I think maybe four. I don't the, use them. So, I mean, this, your last event where I didn't bring a tape mm. measure, um, I used it then. Um, it really forced me to, to, to use that because obviously I had no other option. Um, apart from using my opponent's tape measure for every, did uh, you like it? Move. Was it good? I didn't mind it. I did find that, like not having to like with the little moves, in particular two inches, right? To get two inches out of a tape measure and then hold the bulk of the tape measure, which is longer than two inches, hmm. down on the table level to figure out exactly how far the two inches is, as opposed to just getting the side of the widget and putting it down and being click. That's the two inches. That's where it's that's where it's moving. That I found was really helpful. Um, so I think I will start using it more. I've had it for ages, but this is the first time I've really had to implement it. Yeah. No, I, I've got a bunch of them, but I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've just got a tape measure in my hand. I don't want to have to like swap between two different tools to measure. I feel like that's going to reduce my efficiency as well, but maybe, yeah. Preset numbers on them are very, very useful in games like War Machine, where you will frequently be moving a maximum distance. Um, where, so like imagine in Infinity, if you were always moving your troops four inches in a straight line, then having a four inch widget would be incredibly useful. Mm. But in Infinity, like 95% of the time, you are moving around corners in curved lines, not your full distance, or very, very often to a place and then away from that place. So you're doubling back. Um, that makes widgets in Infinity less useful. But if a person is comfortable with them and they like them, they then 100%, it's a lightweight alternative to a tape measure which is mechanically fallible and especially yeah you mentioned nick the two inch a two inch which has two inch side we do do like anytime you do, do a dodge you're often doing a two inch move in a straight line it's super useful for that yeah no i agree um so as, what else do we have there on gaming aids I, I did i did write down chess clocks as a gaming aid because i do believe that they are um entirely there for to help to help you manage your time uh, we, and we've already talked quite extensively on chess clocks already, so I don't think we need to talk too much more about them, except I guess I had a question for you, Rob. Where did those chess clocks go down? Did you have lots of space to have them on the side of the table? Did they ever get like stuff thrown on them out of the you know, obscured so in? Imagine that conversation we just had about how you should always have your um like your order pool and your tokens visible to your opponent. Yeah. 
So just if you've got a 12-inch wide band up the side of the table, which you want to keep clear anyway so that each player can see each other's order pool, you put a chess clock and any dice trays in the middle of that 12-inch band. Yeah, okay. No, that's that's that makes perfect sense. And actually, I was thinking about this before, but about the armor lists and why I don't, well, why I never really use them is because technically, they, all the time they get they get kind of lost, right? They get kind of put down on the table, and then stuff gets put on top of them, and then you're like, oh fuck it, where's it gone? Oh, it's underneath there. Oh, never mind. So I think that is maybe something to. And I guess it depends. If you're playing on a, on a quiet Thursday night in your local gaming club, you've probably got heaps of space to move around on. But on a on a, on a tournament day, often less so. Sometimes you've just got like a, a fold-out chair to put all of your shit on too, which can make, you know, rolling out your tournament tree with your three layers and your tur- tokens and your silhouettes and your, and your army list and your army, you're like, you, there's, no, there's no space, right? There's... It can be surprisingly hard to budget space for a whole extra A4 page, especially yeah. if it's space. Yeah, and then and then of course if that thing then just sits up folded up, then you're less likely to open up and look at it. It needs to be flat in front of you where you can see it, which is not in the way. Um, so maybe that's yeah, something. Uh, he's got a little. He's got a little book, doesn't he? He does have it's a like little, yeah, diary notepad kind of thing, which is small and easy to pick up and look at and put back down again. Yeah, and I think that's muscle memory, right? He's remembering to pick it up. Um, I, 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 I myself, I'm uh, I terrible at um, physical diaries because I never like you know my my mum, my previous partners have always been like, look, it's in the diary. I'm like, yeah, I didn't fucking, I don't fucking look at it though. Like, it's not gonna help me if I don't look at it. So I have a calendar in front of me right now that has got all of my dates for the month of June. Yeah, I did remember to flip it over to June, and it's helpful because I can look at it and go, oh yeah, there's someone's birthday on this weekend. But if it's not there, I would never know. And I'd never remind myself to check. So I think that just comes back to having it there in front of you that you can look at it easy. It helps so much. Absolutely. Sorry, personal story there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess we've moved on from gaming aids. Uh, we've already talked about taking notes, uh, which is guess what's what Hector was talking about. Um, we've actually already covered planning ahead, which is kind of about using your opponent's turn uh, well, actually, technically we have, but not all of it. Um, you know, using your opponents trying to plan your own moves. I, I think I think a good topic to go on to is probably going to be this one about analysis paralysis. I think there's there is a good conversation yeah, okay. there yep. about um, about what what that is and and how you can overcome that. So yeah, I think that's I, that, I think you're right. I think everything else is is kind of um, does is part of that, and it's something that we've I'm sure we've all suffered from and continue to suffer from this day. Um, and if you think about it, there back to the con- the conversation around playing the game in a good, timely manner. There are two things that cause a game to happen slowly. One is just if you execute slowly and you're not organised, and everything takes a little bit more time, the game will take longer to play. And the other is analysis paralysis, which is where you get stuck. You get stuck on something and you can't progress and you spin your wheels and waste time on a thing, an obstacle. Those are the two things that will make a game take a long time. So what, why might you, what, what would cause, what causes analysis paralysis? I think it comes down to getting into a situation that you're not familiar with and not knowing, like having the, the inability to, to uh, address your options and weigh them up and then pick one, right? It's indecisiveness is what it is. Um, and, 
and infinity is pretty bad for that right because there are so many exactly often, so many yeah. options to to choose from it's it's um it's in in ARO or or in your active um ways to approach a problem yeah the the game i mean i mentioned this before the game presents us with a bigger probability space than almost any other war game um and almost i'm just trying to think of like similar examples go would have a larger probability space um, but like chess almost doesn't, uh, even though you can move more individual pieces on a per turn basis. Um, but yeah, so an analysis, I almost want to call out that word indecision because I feel like that's derogatory, like not derogatory. I know you didn't mean it in a mean spirit mm. way. Um, but often it's, it's not just indecision. It's, it's paralysis. It's, um, getting caught in a situation where you are presented with a problem or a challenge. And you don't just don't know what to do, but you don't know how to start figuring out what to do. Um, your your usual mental tools for navigating towards a solution are failing you, and you're just in that like I don't I don't know what to do. I don't anything that I do might be wrong. I have no experience with the situation. I am unsure even how to begin to proceed. Um, and that I'm sounding like I'm like catastrophizing. There, but like absolutely, we've all had that one game where something has happened. You're like, even even if it's just like, even if you're an experienced player, you can get stuck in an analysis paralysis loop where something so catastrophically unlucky and unlikely happens that you you can't ever possibly have experienced it in a game before, and you're just like, what do I even do now? Um, I, uh, like, I just, I just had an avatar engaging a total reaction bot that wasn't in cover. He was on twos. I was on fifteens and I lost six face to face rolls in a row. That's an actual example. What mm -hmm. do I, what, what do I do with the game state? I've never experienced this and I don't have an, I don't have a compass out. That's mm. analysis paralysis and you're stuck. Yeah, and, the, and the, like you think you were touching on before, Nick and Rob, like it, there's a few ways that can manifest itself. It can manifest itself from from being uh, inexperienced and just not having. Well, I guess they all come from they all come from this the 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 um they all come from not having had this experience before, and that can come from like you say an experience an, an, an inexperienced player and an experienced player. But the I guess the symptoms are the same: is going, what the fuck do I do? And and either having no idea what you want to do or sometimes for me i've like well i've got two or three things i could do which one's best don't don't know and i'm just gonna spin yeah like you say spin, spin my wheels for the next five minutes thinking which one's the best i'd also actually i'd add because i'm being a little bit unfair when i say it comes mostly from inexperience um because that's not, not actually strictly true the other causes of analysis paralysis can be things like um, anxiety, which is disrupting your ability to think clearly, yep. um, or just a habit towards overthinking. Um, you can be experienced in a situation, but still have a habit of, or, or find situations where you tread and retread over the same information tr because you're afraid that you've missed something, or you're trying to find some new way forward, or etc. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm, I think you mentioned it in the, on our Discord, and I was going to respond the other night, um, but I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to say it, um, probably because I'm a chronic overthinker myself. So when yeah, so when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is, and it's it's it may not necessarily be anxiety, but it's certainly a a, a symptom that I suffer from. I I can suffer from where I will just get inside my own head 
and I will think nothing more about what the decisions are in front of me and every one of them is bad and um like every choice I'm going to make could be wrong so sometimes it's safer to not make a decision and sit there spinning your wheels longer but then of course that then has other issues where you're then pot you're stalling the game and then in creeps um other 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 factors which can lead to you know um a, a bad experience for you and your opponent my my kind of thoughts on this sort of touching on what kev just said on how you've got options in front of you but every option is bad right um one sort of adage that i often sort of kind of live by in my own personal life is that if something is worth doing it's worth doing poorly (laughs) (laughs) which which kind of means that doing something even if it's not great or not Mm -hmm. the best is always better than doing nothing at all so if you've only got bad decisions that you can make then make a bad decision and then see what the next decision is and, and, and go from there because um, in like d- d- picking on like figuring out which one of those bad decisions is the one that you're going to make I don't know the one that's got the most dice <laughs> <laughs> no I, but, I, yeah but it, like and that's kind of how I I look at that situation I'm I always whenever I get myself into that kind of decision loop I basically have to pull myself away from it and say fuck it let's just do something and see what happens mm-hmm. um it yeah. might not be the optimum the optimal choice. I may have missed something, but doing something is always going to be better than treading water and wasting time. Well, uh, what, uh, going back, going to what uh, Hector said in his email, which I thought was very poignant, was uh, uh, he says, "No matter what, remember to take a deep breath uh, during the game and move on. The next decision is more important than the last mistake." So I really like that. Yeah, it's it's very. Um, like like I say, it's for inspirational poster type, but it it really resonates uh, in 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 war gaming because there are yeah. a few practical things that you can do. Sorry, I'm getting into the. I should have let you finish that sentence, Kev. No, um, that's alright. The I'm getting into the problem solving thing here, which is not always the right response to a topic that is about um, emotion and the workings of the brain. But um, there are if this is resonating with people and it's like, yeah, I get in that situation where I'm not sure what to do. Um, there are a number of practical things that you can do to help yourself with that situation. Um, one of them that may work for some people to bring this back is to play games on hoc because the external reminder that time is passing can be very helpful for some people to bring them out of their own heads and back into the present and make a decision. Um, it's not for everyone, and in particular, if your analysis paralysis, if you experience it and you identify that it arises from anxiety, then that may not help at all. So you'll have to try it to figure it out. And if you find you have an averse response and it just makes things worse, cool, you've learned something. Don't use a clock. Um, if you do find that it's external anxiety that causes um, you to get stuck in a decision-making loop, then you kind of have to figure out what those sources of anxiety are and if you can address them. And it may be that you just respond with an anxiety response to competitive events. I I do. I've had to learn. I still don't I'm not a particularly great competitive player. Um I have had to learn to resolve anxiety or manage it through an event. Um 
if you and so we have we have at least one local player who um, he gets quite bad anxiety from um, competitive events, but he really enjoys if there's a narrative he can immerse himself in the narrative and it removes his anxiety. We are running like an eight month long narrative in Canberra just optionally for people to opt into specifically because it helps people like him play a game in an event format and not get stuck in that decision loop. Um, the other thing is that uh, an analysis paralysis that I will find myself stuck in occasionally is if I'm in a situation where I fear to make a mistake. And one of the best, in that circumstance, you have to learn to embrace the fact that you might just make a mistake and that you, you have to do that to proceed with the game. Um, there are a few players in Australia that are, are, are absolute crackers and who I um, do not think I could beat under normal circumstances. And in in events, I have found myself locked. So Lucky Cardo is a Sydney player who's absolutely tremendous at this game. And I have played him in events a couple of times now. And every time I've looked at the game state as we're moving to deploy, and I've, I've literally been like, I don't think I can win this game unless I do something really unconventional. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to try something that might not work and risk that I'm going to make a mistake. I'm not going to win otherwise. Um, I am going to have to do something really clowny and drag him down to my level, mm -hmm. or I will not. I will not have a chance in this game. And that I actually found that mindset. The like, um, this might be a mistake, but I don't know if I can win otherwise. That is a really useful short circuit for me to overcome, particularly early in the game. Later in the game, I don't find I struggle with analysis paralysis too much because once you're particularly into the third turn. It's more a matter of just executing well with the limited resources that you have. The game has narrowed down mm. to a to a point where you're, you're rushing towards a climax. But early in the game and in deployment, especially really in deployment, massively, the game is, is at its most open. And sometimes you just have to say, like, I have to try something. I have to roll to infiltrate this Masai Moran under a military orders link team in a building because I don't think I can win the game if I just play. Conventionally, I have to try and I have to try something and see if I can make it. If it's in C, I will learn if it's a mistake, and I will succeed if it's not. No, that's a really good analysis of that, and you, you just saying something like that, it, it kind of triggers my brain to being like, "This might be a, this might not be, this might not work, but it's my best shot." Mm -hmm. Is a good way of pulling yourself out of that. I think I mentioned I played a game at CanCon a couple of years ago against a Corregidor player, and I deployed. Kind of almost forgetting that Corregidor have access to Hellcats and McMurrow. <laughs> and then I deployed and I was like, oh, fuck, this guy's Corregidor. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm really, uh, and he's going first. Uh, he's going, well, sorry. You know, am I going? No, he was going first. And I deployed. I counter deployed. And I just completely, first round, just completely blanked that McMurrow might be coming out and completely blanked that he might have Hellcats. And I just didn't. He was going into his first turn, and I didn't have any hidden position the way that I would do if I was expecting Hellcats. And it made for, like, I had a really, I was I was not in a good way. I was sweating. I was I was, I was, was stuttering. I wasn't having a good time. Turns out he didn't have McMurrow or Hellcats. So, uh, you know, <laughs> like, but there was no need for me to, I mean, obviously, first of all, learning, like, training myself up, up enough to prepare myself for something like that and an opponent. Uh, but second of all, to be like, well, this is what this is the game state as it is now. The best thing I can do is react the best way I can if it comes, rather than worry myself silly about something that actually didn't end up happening. And that that I find happens a lot as well. And I'll I'll um I mean, and this might be talking a bit about tilting, but I will um 
I, my brain will circulate with like unhelpful thoughts when I when I think or I believe or I know I've stuffed up. And it's a coping mechanism because you it's much better to call yourself an idiot than call your opponent an idiot. Um, but it doesn't help you make good decisions later on in the game. Kev, I reckon I've seen you tilt more than anyone else. There you go. Yeah. Ever. Like, so, like some of the time you just like get into this certain headspace where you'll roll some dice and then you'll just start swearing. Yeah. And then you roll some more dice and you'll just start swearing again. And I feel like it's it's the profanity that is making the dice rolls bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if that if that makes if that helps, um, you know, uh, take it away from from you as uh, my opponent, then that's because that's the other thing that's always going on in my head as well. Is I still want to give my opponent a good game. So there's this duality of like I'm fucking up, I'm annoyed at myself, but I also want to make sure that I'm not pissing off my opponent, um, which. You know, is is a difficult thing to balance when you're kind of, you know, unable to pull yourself out of this this part, like either a paralysis loop or a or a or a you know you're going spiraling into a into a full on tilt. Um, it's 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 tricky, um, and it and I guess it can only be rectified with um, mental exercises and experience, which I guess I still haven't quite figured out yet. <laughs> um. Yeah, thinking about whether to jump in on this conversation or not, because we, I think we've played. I'm glad that Nick said I've seen Kev kill because <laughs> Kev tilt. Because I think we've played maybe twice Kev on TTS at various different times. Yeah, I, I would also observe. Um, so, what I would say is, you play through an obvious tilt better than just about anyone that I've seen. You don't let it disrupt your execution too badly, but you still you you you. I'm always getting into like fucking psychoanalysis with with mm. Blossom podcast. Here we go. Um, but I, I feel like you flagellate yourself a little bit. Um, and when something, even when just bad luck materializes, um, and the yeah the the, the f bombs start dropping, um, I feel like you sort of haven't given yourself permission to have some bad luck just fuck everything up, which it'll do occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're 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 you're, you're right. Um, but you you play you you play through one of the things that does that is notable is that although you do seem to have that response, um, you I think the swearing probably helps you shortcut through the, um, the like, <laughs> isolation stage and just back into doing things. You do have that habit where you're like everything's fucked, it's all fucked. That dice roll was fucked, um, but I have to do something. I have to make the next move, even if it's a bad move, to see if there's a path out of this. Uh, so those are good habits, even if um, you're relying on. What's the? It's like the. There's something about how swear words are wired through our brain that they they interact differently. Like there have been studies that show that swearing actually produces different neuro like neurological effects to regular language, as like a stress relief or something. I was like literally playing a board game with 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 a friend on the weekend, and they um something like something happened they they got they basically looked like they were gonna win and i was like you motherfucker and they were like whoa hold on i'm like it's fine like i was like you're playing really well but this is just my way of releasing this like what the actual fuck um yeah no i it it's it's something that um i 
yeah, I guess part of it's part of it's me, I think, and then part of it's something that I just have to continue to work on. Um, something I do when I do get like you say, start dropping f bombs is I do um, and this like maybe other people might think this too, and I think this is a good a good tip to help you get out of um, going into full tilt is to start to compliment your opponent. I really like that on what on anything that they're doing. Um, be it like you know that was a good move. Did, did you get a haircut recently? It looks great. Yeah, like even that, <laughs> like you know, just like oh, I really like you know, I really like your dice or your the paint job in this miniature is really nice. Or that was actually a really good move. I didn't think to do that. That's great. I'll remember that. So just anything, and it also and it it helps them right because of maybe you know especially if people aren't used to or don't know me or or, or aren't used to you know be getting a bit heated um it can make them tense so i like to try and hopefully that will make them feel less tense and also it helps me short circuit the path that i'm on it makes me look at something else um i heard i heard somebody on a podcast uh i think it was might be a wargaming podcast where they just said when they're getting close to tilt they just kind of um start to massage like um, massage the dice through their hands like just anything to kind of and they start like looking at their own dice to kind of get their head out of where it's going. Um, so, you know, that physical feeling of a dice in their hand or looking at numbers on a dice or looking at something else that isn't what's going on um, right. can really help them uh, just get them out of that moment and get them back into focusing on the on the game, which is where I thought that Hector's um, visual aids on his army list are very useful because you can always revert back to that and go, that's my game plan. Yeah, the, these are these pieces are missing. What can I still build out of the pieces that I have left? Yeah, um, so I think that's re- that's very important, and I appreciate you two uh, mentioning that to me as well because I know it's a it's a tricky thing to bring up in a casual conversation on a game, um, but it's good for me to know that that is something that people have noticed, and it'll also help me. Well, hopefully, help me in in working on that on that behavior. I just also really briefly want to say, actually, I love, and I don't want to let this go, I'm going to remember this, I love the idea of just paying your opponent a compliment as a way that can mentally help. Um, That is so, one, positive, and two, clever. Um, Even, so you mentioned, like, you know, your models are wonderfully painted, et cetera, et cetera. That's, That's really excellent. Um, Even just in the game, just like the, I, I, really like the idea of just saying you've played really well and you've got me in a situation mm-hmm. um, man man you've you've got me between a rock and a hard place because there there are a couple of things that happens when you do that firstly you have to take yourself out of the loop that you're in to tell your opponent something you have to interact with another human being that helps secondly it positively reinforces them it makes them feel more relaxed and calmer and makes them understand that the situation you're in is not a reflection of them which helps the game mood which is good but then thirdly is it it reminds yourself that some of the causes of the challenges you're facing aren't necessarily as a result of your mistakes um a lot of the time when we experience tilt or analysis paralysis it's because we are caught in our own heads and we are thinking only about our impact and our mistakes and what we've done and what we could do and pausing to acknowledge that your opponent stitch you up good and proper might for some people be a really helpful way of pulling them out of the this is my fault part yeah. of the and saying actually you my opponent you've done really well 
Yeah, this isn't my fault. This is your fault. <laughs> you did this to me. <laughs> I think I think it definitely goes some way of of um, you know on the one hand, and I and I have this opinion as well, where I don't want someone to be like, oh no, man, it's just dice, you know, or you know, I just rolled really hot. Like, no, 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 you did. Uh, really I'm not, well. I'm not, I've really hated when someone when you beat someone. Well, not necessarily when you beat someone. When someone's talking about their game and they lost, and they're like, "Oh, it was just it was the dice, man. It was always the dice." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I I steer, I try my best to steer clear of that. There will be times where you just be like, I mean, fucking yeah, hell, sometimes. like I rolled three eighteens in a row in a row yeah. to do a whip check. You know that 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 shit. Um, but yeah, you never, I never want to take away my opponent's victory by by reducing it down to, well, they rolled better than me. Because that's not there's no skill involved in that. It's pure luck, which is important to win a game, but not the. It's only like a, a part of it. This is all going down quite a deep rabbit hole. Rabbit hole, mm, right? Relative to the fact, so why why do you not want to tilt? Because tilting takes a long time. Was, I'm glad I'm glad you brought it back to the to the summary of it because I was thinking I was like, well, this I think hopefully our listeners will understand that we're talking about this from a point of view of oh, them God, being no, quicker. <laughs> Yeah, but it does. It does all. It does all. It, it all feeds into it, right? Because you, you know, you, you, you get in an analysis paralysis. You make the wrong decision. Then you start to f- to lambast yourself over the making the wrong decision, and then you lose track of the sight of the game. And then it's your turn. You're like, "Fuck! What am I doing again? I've been sitting there like beating myself up over you know choosing to shoot this thing with the wrong gun or whatever it was." Uh, when you should have been thinking, when you should have been putting, you're pushing yourself past that, going, okay, well, that was that was a mistake. What do I do now? Um, yeah. And and then these are the tips that we're trying to, I guess, tell you um, that may help you. And chess clocks are part of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, was there, was there any other points we wanted to bring up? Or I think we might have pretty much covered everything we've got here. I think we have. I'd like to. Um, yeah, I mean. Do you want to round this off with a with a? I, I just did that there, but I don't think. Oh, it was yeah, I don't think we. Yeah, I think I don't think we really need to summarize anything. But I mean, we we'll we make uh, just another shout out as well, though. That everything we've been talking about here, obviously, we we want people to play more, play better games, improve on your own performance, and find ways that you can do that. So that's all we're all we're talking about here is ways that you can you can improve your own um the way you play and try new things and giving the clocks a go and entering into that um that monthly challenge that we have for the for the chess clocks for june is one way that you can do that so um so get next game you play get the get the clocks out um you can download an apps forum on your phone or if you've got a tablet or something like that super easy not all of us have like 50 chess clocks like apparently rob does <laughs> at his local store for some reason in a box um <laughs> So hey, you can you, you, listen. Take we we did fundraisers. We took a little bit of prize money out of every tournament for like a couple of like you know half of a year, and that paid for a whole bunch of chess clocks. Now they're the stores. The store owns them. They're an asset. That's good. Um, yeah, definitely. Nick, um, I agree. We uh, I just want to emphasize that um, yet yeah, the. There was a lot of content in tonight's show, and it and it did go down a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, but we can um, also hope that that maybe has sparked a conversation in people who listen to the show. Um, please, like, join us on Discord. Uh, talk about your experiences with with um, improving and, and and ways in which you can manage um, your expectations and and 
um, your own your own play and you know dealing with dealing with like just pushing toy soldiers around 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 a, around a table like that's, that's what it. it is right it's just it's just a bit of fun and it can get competitive and we do talk about this game in a competitive way most of the time um but it's also really really good to have these kinds of com- kinds of conversations because we all have like even the best player in the world has these same like has to go through these same mental exercises that we've just discussed tonight yeah it's it's a big community that you guys have access to and i'm sure there are people out there who have had their own experiences learning and getting better at thinking about the game and getting better and quicker at playing and if there are other people out there who've got things that they've come up with and experiences that they've had that have helped them that we haven't mentioned today, I would love to hear about them. I super love reading about that stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. That would be great. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. So if there's if there is anything that you want that you wanted to add to the conversation that we're having today, um, listeners, jump on Discord or even on our Facebook as well. Probably Discord's better. Jump on Discord because we've got our special little um little uh, community there of uh, of our of listeners uh, in in our. I'm not going to use the word safe space because it's not very safe there. Um, but it is. We can You can talk about whatever you want. And, and if you've got anything, yeah, it's exactly, it's warm and welcoming. And if you want to uh, contri- con- contribute, ha- happy to have you. But I also just wanted, before we um, send off, just a big thank you to Rob for joining us tonight. Um, I know you have been um, real busy and, and stressed out, Ali. So it's really a pleasure to have you on. Really appreciate it, guys. It's been a great evening. Yeah, Rob, thanks very much. Really appreciate it, mate um yeah okay well with that um send us in your stories about uh, your experience with chess clocks for the month of june uh being with a chance for win a blister so with that you've been listening to loss of lieutenant my name's kevin my name's nick my name's rob good night